Coming to you from the TLD studios in Temecula, California, it's the Whiskey Throttle Show, taking you deep inside the lives of the legends and leaders of our sport. This week's guest is brought to you by Yamaha, the leaders in the power sports industry. Motocross bikes, street bikes, adventure bikes, side-by-sides, quads, boats, generators. Yamaha sets the standard. Yamaha revs your heart. Method Race Wheels, the strongest, lightest, fastest wheels in off-road. Method dominates the off-road market with wheels for your truck, sprinter, Jeep, or UTV. Go to methodracewheels.com forward slash whiskey throttle for 20% off your order. Troy Lee Designs, built for the world's fastest racers. TLD blends elite level protection with industry leading style and performance. Moto, bike, helmet paint, casual wear, whatever your passion, Troy Lee Designs is waiting for you on the next level. Nihilo Concepts, enhance your riding experience with superior products like the Start Stop Conversion Kit, Fuel Pet Cocks, Frame Grip Tape, Lever Grip, Grip Donuts, Secondary On Switch, Billet Foot Pegs, Billet Throttle Housings, and so much more. The Hilo Concepts produces exceptional products, all of which are made right here in America. And by SKDA. SKDA is the ultimate destination for exceptional motocross graphics, customer service, and artistic excellence. Trust them to elevate your ride and showcase your individuality on the track, making every ride an exceptional experience. Hey everybody, thank you for joining us here at the Whiskey Throttle Show. I'm your host, David Pingree, and today we've got a super interesting guest. Uh, I've reconnected with her, uh, which we'll get into this story recently, uh, but action sports icon, world record holder, multiple, and um, stunt woman now. So lots of cool stuff on this resume, a lot of stuff to talk about. Jolene Van Vute, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. Stoked to have you here. Um, we get started with all these shows with a, a section we call the front end. Method Race Wheels Front End Chatter. They make the lightest, strongest, fastest wheels in off-road. Uh, if you guys want a discount on wheels, 20% off, use our code uh, methodracewheels.com forward slash whiskey throttle. Uh, and you get 20% off anything over there. Um, I just want to talk about, first of all, how you and I got reconnected here. Yeah. I'm, I met you way back, uh, back in your WMX days, yep. uh, early 2000s. But uh, I got restationed up in the mountains in Bonskin, California, of all places. <laughs> and I had one of my crew members say, hey, uh, if there's a girl over here that rides motorcycles, you know, do you know her, Jolene something? And I'm like, you know, your name, you're the only <laughs> yeah. Jolene I know outside of Dolly Parton's song. song. So, like, <laughs> I'm thinking, well, yeah, well, what, what do you mean? Like, what is it? You know, oh, she's got this place called The Outpost. And so I popped over, and sure enough, you and your brother run this place. Yeah, yeah, it was... Um... Uh, it's called the Outpost. It's yeah. uh, how, the, how did you wind up in Fonz? Having Lodge that we, um, it just kind of fell into our laps. Really, um, we weren't looking to own anything like that. It's not like we were looking okay. for a hotel or a lodge or, or something to purchase. Uh, but with uh, COVID happening and sort of a lot of things being shut down, uh, people went out into places that they could you know, feel a little bit more comfortable. And at the time, uh, Billy, my brother, and his wife, Alyssa, they lived in Redondo. Uh, I lived in Hermosa. And with the lockdowns that were happening at the time, you couldn't do anything. And I only had a studio apartment. It was in a basement of a building. So it was dark, not fun. So I sort of got the heck out of there and, and went somewhere else. And then my brother and Alyssa went up to their place that they had in Big Bear. They just had a small little 
cabin that they would go and for skiing or or whatnot and they'd had it a couple of years at that point and so they went up there to just kind of seek the refuge of there which was a little bit more comfortable and so they would do lake laps on their road bikes cycling oh okay and so do the full the full thing uh and fawn skins up on the the opposite side from where they lived uh billy would they would ride by it and and they knew what it was they thought oh that's a cool little place with all those little cabins and the one time billy was on a ride by himself and there was a for sale sign that they're selling it themselves for sale by owner so he goes home Alyssa, Alyssa, you know that cool place in Vonskin that the, all those cabins and she's like yeah and he goes it's for sale and she's like and what's your point you know <laughs> and what's your point um and he's just like well wouldn't it be really cool like he had like this vision and instantly he had the vision that I had as soon as he showed me the property as well I was like oh my god that's at the trailhead for all the dual sport riding we could have events we could all the industry people that we know or you know met through all the years and um instead of going to the events like i usually do i was like i can have the events come to me i was like this would be such a rad piece of property so i instantly said to billy too like well we could do this this and this he goes that's what i said <laughs> so we like it kind of was a very exciting cool thing to think of but it like anything it's a big piece of property had a big price tag so you kind of feel like it's a little bit of a dream not like you're actually going to buy it. <laughs> so were you guys kind of like, oh man, we got it. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it was a process. We, uh, we couldn't afford it on our own. So we have, uh, there's myself, my brother and his wife, and then another couple. And they um, live on the East Coast. They own three restaurants and they're good friends of ours. And we thought, okay, these people run businesses. Um, Becky is a real estate agent. So they know property, they know value. So they came to visit and we're like, come and see the property. And if you guys, if we take you there and you're like, no, this thing's like, what are you doing? Don't even bother. We would just forget about it. Yeah. But if they thought it was something of value, we we're just like, we're like, okay, well, would you like to get in with us and the five of us try to purchase this piece of land? They showed up. They're like, this place is a gem. These things do not come up for sale very often. Something like this. The people that owned it had like, they owned it for 35 years. The person, you know, before that, I think owned it even longer, you know, type of thing. So yeah, something like that isn't, you can't just like drive around and find properties like that. And again, it wasn't something that we were looking for. It just happened to be that property because that was at the trailheads. It was up in Big Bear. It's close to LA. Um, so that's where the interest came. Was it, cause it's, they're really, it's clean, that property you guys have it manicured and really dialed in. Was it beat up when you guys got it or was it in pretty good shape they took pretty good uh care of it he was a the 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 gentleman was a general contractor so anytime something needed to be fixed or broke he always made sure it got fixed not always in the best way sometimes but at least we're figuring that out um but everything it had really good bones we didn't have to renovate as and rebuild or have a contractor come in um, it just had a really old feel to it and they were tapped out like they 35 years they wanted to retire they'd just gone through the height of covid where they didn't have to close like a lot of hotels and stuff had to close for a while because of the close proximity but because they were all these se separate little cabins they could stay open so they were the busiest they'd ever been in their entire lives and they were just run ragged um inside of the cabins had a very old kind of grandma cabin feel so very like doilies and frilly shit hanging everywhere, plates oh, on the walls. White uh, things with hard candies. Yeah, like little statues everywhere that were just kind of creepy looking. And 
Um, so we just pulled everything out of the cabins, gave it a really good makeover, painted everything, put in new fixtures, new uh, furniture, smart televisions, Wi-Fi, like all the things. It's awesome. To make it like a little bit more um, modern. Yeah. But still have the cabin feel. My wife went up and stayed, and I went up and stayed there, and super comfortable, fireplace. I don't know if they all have fireplaces. Yeah, but... they all have wood-burning fireplaces, okay. which are grandfathered in, because you can't build anything with an open fireplace anymore, so we... We have those, which is cool. It's just super cool. And then, like, we just did the Alpine Stars Adventure launch up mm -hmm. there um, with Ricky Brabeck and Toby Price and Skylar Howes. And what a cool and... vibe that was, you know, a little campfire talk feel. And... Yeah, so that is the exact vision that my brother and I had growing up in the motocross industry, having, you know, the connections that we have, that we were both just on the same level of being like, yeah. this is what we want this property for. So... When we get to do Babes in the Dirt, Dual Sports Summer, the Wolf Enduro Mission events, and now we just leveled up even bigger with this big Alpine Star event, um, that's exactly what we wanted this property for. So it was, we're seeing it through to the vision we had, and it's only we've only owned it two years now, um, and we've been able to turn the property into what we wanted. You know, it was a lot of work getting it to that clean sort of manicured look. Um, we had to pull a lot out because they did have it a little bit more congested, cluttery, um, a lot of sort of old feel to it. So we really spent the past two years um, giving it our own yeah. clean kind of twist. Well, it's awesome. If anyone in the area is looking for something cool up in the Big Barrier, it's <laughs> perfect. And there's there's a restaurants up there. Tropicali yeah. is like one, one of, of our favorites. favorites. <laughs> so unreal. Like, we love it. They're food, great like, there. Anywhere. I know. And the family that owns it, they're like top-notch humans, super, super amped on life, which is cool. And um, a lot of great restaurants. We're on the North Shore, but we're only 15 minutes from the village, yeah. um, 10 minutes from the grocery stores. But uh, there's so many great restaurants and good food up there because a lot of, you know, I think a lot of top chefs that have just had it with L.A. don't want to be there anymore, they move up to Big Bear, open up a restaurant. So there's a lot of good food. And you know, it's, it's, I didn't know you were stuck in your apartment when COVID was going on. Mm -hmm. Like, you were getting, people were getting tickets for even being on the beach. We couldn't go yeah. on the beach. Yeah, I left. Like, you were, so I didn't lost in your apartment. that, but I knew that that was happening. So I got out, um, like, right away. I was just like, oh, I knew when they were starting to put that lockdown rules and stuff like that. I was like, I don't want to have to be there because it was literally a room the size of, like, your studio here. One window in a basement. And I was like, I'm not. I gotta get out. <laughs> yeah, not. This is not happening. So I took off uh, to Kansas actually with my boyfriend at the time, and we hung out there for a few oh, months. Oh, really? Yeah. Smart move. Yeah. Well, it's awesome that we reconnected that way, and um, I, it led to you being on here today. And I'm pumped to know you. Just want to let you guys know. Uh, get over to WhiskeyThrottleMedia.com if you haven't. We got all kinds of content over there: bike tests, product tests. We've got a whole new off-road segment. If you're an off-road rider. Lots of product testing and cool features going on there. A whole new line of merch, whiskeythrottlemerch.com if you're interested in that. We've got a forum. we got all kinds of crap, so check it out. Uh, let's get to your story. Jolene is brought to you by Yamaha. Um, tell me about your hometown. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in London, Ontario, Canada, um, the other London. Usually when, especially when you come down in the States, people go, oh, where are you from? Canada. Where in Canada? London. Oh, so you're from England. No, I just told you I was from Canada. Um, <laughs> but just, right now, just, just, said that. just said it. Um, but yeah, just across the border from uh, Michigan there, um, a, a couple hours in. What was it like? Is it so that you were born in 79? 80. 80. 1980, baby. 
So what was it like there at that time? Uh, Fun to grow up in town? Like, yeah, good. Yeah, it was a good community. Um, eating ketchup chips and playing hockey. Oh, my God. Every time I go home, I, I eat an entire bag of ketchup chips. Yeah. They're good. I mean, they're very good. I don't understand why U.S. does not have ketchup chips. It's a very confusing thing. It is. They have all the other kinds of chips, but apparently Americans don't like the ketchup flavor of chips, which is confusing to me. Well, they're just good. They're very good. They're my favorite. Poutine. I used to make fun of poutine. It's pretty good. If yeah. you have a good one, you're like, okay, no, I get it. Yeah. yeah. So. J'ai besoin de poutine. See, si, we. Oui. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> nah. I don't know. I'm too far south to really. Uh, and you got a couple siblings, right? I know Billy. This is another funny thing is your brother ran for marathons. Yes. And uh, I was on duty when they came over <laughs> and swore him in. So it was right out in front of our fire station. Um, so funny to me. Like. Yeah, I mean, and that again, a Canadian green card holder is not usually able to be the mayor of anything in the U.S., but um, it's an unincorporated uh, town we're in, and we're able to do whatever we want sort of thing. So it's a very fun, it's more about the community, it's a fundraiser, and whoever raises the most amount of money becomes the mayor, and we did that. This is how we should probably do government in the whole country. (laughs) Whoever raises the most money, but all that money has to go into projects in the city. Yeah, it goes back into the community. So, yeah, Billy gets to sort of delegate uh, where all those fundings go. And and so it's kind of just a fun thing for the year. So what other, you have another sibling, though? Yeah, older sister, uh, Michelle. Um, She's nine years older than me. So there's Michelle, Billy, me. And what does she do? She stay in Canada? She's up in Canada. Uh, She lives uh, pretty close to my parents. And our uh, my parents actually still live in the house I was born and raised in. So it's nice to be able to go home and feel like, it's grounding. Fun. Yeah, yeah, it's super grounding because it's everywhere that I played and all my friends and all the things. We sort of grew on grew up on the outskirts of uh, of London, which is a bigger city, but we grew up in more of the um, countryside of it. So I would just run around and play in the fields and play in the forests and didn't have too many rules. It was just be home before dark or if dad whistles and it's dinner, get your ass to the house. I feel like maybe our generation, I'm five years older than you, but I feel like our generation might've been the last group that really got to live that live. childhood. Yeah. No phones. No. No bullshit. No. I had a, I didn't have an Atari. I had it in television, which was like oh, the what is that? four man's version of an Atari. Okay. Like that was my video game thing. Yeah. We only played it when we went to our cabin or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you just got to take off and be a kid. Yeah, I, I would, and we spent a lot of time outdoors. You know, I would come home from school and it was straight running to one of the neighbor's houses to one of my friends, knock on the door, can you come out play? And then we'd run to either like the fort we'd built out in the forest or yeah. we'd like to kind of torture this sod farm owner that was at the end of our uh, end of our street with this massive sod farm. And he would just like drive around in his old caddy. And if he saw us on the sod, he would come ripping across it to chase us. And we kind of use it as a game sometimes. Um, for to run out on the yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, we used like, you know, and there was a crick that we played in all the time. And, and you called a crick. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Montana. I don't hear a lot of people call them cricks, but that was good. Nice pull. Were you always kind of... Um, it sounds like if you're running out onto a sod farm to get the guy to chase it, you were, but like kind of daredevil-y. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, my parents even more so say like, yeah, I was just sort of that one little wild child yeah. kid. I was always getting, not in trouble. I was a pretty good child trouble-wise, but I mean, just like going off and doing the wild child pushing things. Boundaries. Yeah, pushing boundaries, jumping off stuff all the time, playing with the boys. I was the only girl in the neighborhood and there was all boy neighbors. 
massive tomboy. I got beat up a lot. You know, came home with bruises and scratches from different things. And what did you play a lot of sports? Because you didn't get into riding until you were like eleven, right? Yeah, yeah. So what, um, did you, what did you do? I did. My parents kind of went through the whole gamut of finding something I think that I enjoyed. So they put me in a lot of things as I as I grew up, but nothing really stuck. I would do it for a season or two seasons, and I didn't like it, so I'd stay in the corner or. You know, soccer, I just would hang off of the goal posts and then not pay attention or like run off and start doing something else. Um, and it wasn't until my parents, my, my mom wanted me to be a figure skater. She loves figure skating and ballet. So did you play hockey? I mean, it's almost like I did. Yeah. So the figure skating was a segue. What do they call it? Sponge, spongy or what do they call it when you're, I don't know. I thought there was a name for like when you're a kid. What do you, oh, no, I don't know. Maybe I might not know it, but. Um, was put in figure skating, and all I did in in those figure skates on the ice was stand there and just cry. I wouldn't move. Oh yeah, I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to be off of the ice. And then my brother had, or it was either my dad or my brother's old pair of hockey skates were, and I I pulled those out, and we live Slod Farm again comes into play in the winter time. We would go down there. He didn't get mad at us when we did this though, but we'd go down there with shovels and we'd push it off. We'd have an ice rink. So that was a cool area that we would go down and, and skate in the wintertime. And so I pulled my brother's old hockey skates out. And suddenly I liked being on the ice. And I like, I wanted to mimic my brother because he played hockey. So I had my little plastic hockey stick. Is Billy or the... Yeah. Billy. Yeah. yeah, my older is a sister. So um, then my parents were like, okay, well, she likes the ice. She just didn't like the figure skates. So they put me into hockey. Uh, so I grew up playing hockey for sure. I mean, I feel like as a Canadian... Most kids do. Not all, but most. Yeah. Uh, rite of passage almost. Kind of is. Uh, yeah. So, and then that was what stuck with me as as a child. And then when I was about 10, uh, I'd been going to the motocross track since I was a baby, just with my dad and my brother riding. Your dad raced? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my dad, he's actually 78 years old and still races. I just went home um, really quickly for Mother's Day. And my dad's like, oh, I'm going to go to the local track to rip some laps and I was like okay I'll come out and I'll come out and watch and he did Canadian went out. I'm gonna rip some laps <laughs> broke for a rip um and so yeah he I just went out and, and watched him ride and How cool. um did a little video up for him and posted on social media that everybody loved because a lot of most Canadians know my dad personally or they at least know who he is he's quite a bit of a, a motocross legend up in in Canada um he was the first Canadian to ever win Loretta Lynn's. Oh, is that so right? He holds that world, that record, which is pretty cool. Yeah, he's on the trophy beside, like, there's, like, Ricky and Nick Way and Trav and, like, on that really cool big uh, Loretta's trophy. So, um, but, yeah, he started, uh, he's always been into motorcycles his whole life. So, growing up, he grew up quite poor in Holland. So, he started buying stuff that he could just afford, and then he would rebuild it, make it better, sell it and then upgrade and do that with bikes. How old were they when they moved here? You say you're first generation. Yeah, first generation Canadian. Um, my dad and my mom didn't meet till they were actually over in Canada. So my dad uh, came over when he was 21 and um, he just wanted to, His sis, a few of his sisters had already relocated to London. And so he was like, well, I want to go over there and, you know, have that you know, that North American dream, right? People come from, from Europe and immigrate over for bigger and better things. And 
So he came over when he was, yeah, 21, I believe, and started working building silos and learning English because he didn't speak any English when he came. Uh, my mom came over when she was two on a boat with her parents. Uh, she celebrated her second birthday while they were traveling across on a boat. And then when my parents were in their mid to late 20s, they met at a Dutch Canadian club in London, Ontario at singles night. <laughs> Square dancing and uh... dancing. Yes. They love, they did a lot of dancing um, when they met and sort of in the beginning of their marriage, that was the thing they loved to go out and do was go dancing. That's really cool. My grandparents who were first over here uh, from uh, Norway, kind of same thing, like met over here and they got, they were in a square dancing club for uh, Sons of Norway. Was okay. Club, right. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Uh, London, Ontario has a lot of um, clubs. Like there's the Polish club, the Italian club, the Dutch cleaning club, the German club. And so growing up, we spent a lot of time going to these different things because there would be parties or weddings or um, even, you know, there's the singles dances for adults, but then that we also had a lot of um, kids, kids. Yeah. Like more like a school dance type of thing, but they would be like the, the, the function itself just had a dance, but everybody from the high schools or whatever schools would go. Um, can so, you speak Dutch? No, not really. I mean, I can understand certain, uh, sentences and, and different words. Uh, my parents generally, they didn't teach it to us. I, I'm not entirely sure why, but they just felt they were in Canada. They're coming, becoming Canadians. Kids are Canadian, embrace Canada, English. Is, yeah, embrace the culture. Um, so the only time they spoke Dutch around us was when they were with their family and we were off running around playing with cousins, weren't paying attention anyway, or they didn't want us to know what they were talking about. So it was almost like they had their own secret language. So why would they teach us? Because then we would understand. But we know stuff like shut the door and be quiet and come here and those types of things because they would just yell them at us. Do they fight in Dutch? I don't. I don't have a lot of memories of my parents fighting, actually. So I think my parents also did a really good job at uh, not getting along behind closed doors when they yeah. did have their disagreements, because I don't have a lot of memories of, of them fighting, That's great. which I think That's is probably not normal. No. <laughs> I'd say most people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tell, what was your first bike and how did that come about? Yeah. So like I was saying, I, I grew up at the motocross tracks and being around racing um, back in the 80s in southwestern Ontario there just wasn't a lot of women on motorcycles in general so there definitely wasn't you know 10 year olds or like there is now three and four and five year old little girls ripping around on a track there was they, very they've been to start with like the stasics yeah How, oh yeah it's amazing would, would not, well it's amazing the process now way, but like if I could have had a stasic at as two-year-old. I think if I would have went through the process that kids can go through now, I probably would have been on a bike right away as well. Because I even taught myself to ride a pedal bike by myself without training wheels. My parents had training wheels on it, on my bike. And I was like, take those things off. And I, my mom said, one day I just went out to the driveway and I would just, I fell a bunch, but I just kept getting up and going. And, and she was like, I just looked at this window and saw this tiny little girl struggling, but she refused to have training wheels. So I had like bumps and bruises and scratches all over me, but I was determined to just not ride with training wheels. Um, so I, I just didn't have a lot of lead by example. It was one of those things I sort of had to figure out for myself. And I guess it took me a hot minute. Um, cause Were you kind of, sounds like you were kind of looking up to Billy. Like he was always. Yes. Uh, I always looked up to Billy. So one of the like childhood torture, torturous things I did for him to him was, um, 
I, I kind of started mimicking him in everything. Like I wanted to dress like him. I would take his clothes. I would like anytime I could get him to let me hang out with like he just was like, get away from me. You know, like it was one of those things when I was really little, he loved me. I was like his little snuggle bug. And then I got to an age where he was like, yeah, get away. Little What's sister. your difference? Go away. Five years. Five years. Yeah. And then, but that was when I, now I was like, oh, I have this cool older brother that like plays hockey and snowboards and uh, rides dirt bikes. Like, and I just wanted to sort of mimic him. Yeah. And so we were taken to the mall to get haircuts and my brother got his haircut first and then he got out of the seat and I sit down and they're like, okay, how do you want your hair? I'm like, exactly like his. And he was just like, no, don't, don't even, don't. And I was just like, so I got my hair cut exactly like my brother. Which has what? what, what? Just this like super short, short boy haircut. Like, yeah. And then I just, I started telling all the neighbors, just call me Joe. No, Jolie. Joe. I'm just Joe. You know, I just wanted to be this like. Super tomboy. Super tomboy, cool kid. Um, very entertaining. But then, yeah, I would just sort of follow him around and bug him and try to hang out with him and his friends. And yeah, just the little sister sort of thing. That's so. Awesome. <laughs> but you guys have a good relationship now it seems like yeah yeah no there was like like i said at the beginning i think he loved me as like a little one and then i got annoying, annoying yeah. and then into my 20s um he actually started traveling when my dad just could because my dad was my mechanic you know in my teens dad would take me everywhere dad would drive everywhere dad was the mechanic and then into my 20s dad's like i gotta run a business you're starting to go places that i can't go for longer periods of time so he sort of delegated Billy. Um, and so Billy became my mechanic and traveling with me. And in that sort of that age bracket as well, and then doing something that we both loved, we rebuilt a friendship and became best friends and have had a very, very solid friendship ever since. Um, yeah. But like, you know, I think it just gets to you get to a point where either you become friends with your siblings or you don't, at, yeah. you know, at an age where you finally are like, OK, I can stand you now or I get you. Yeah. One or the other type of thing. When you've so, heard so many experiences, it's uh, my sister's one of my best friends. Yeah. But I find that's not super common. No. People say all the time how envious or jealous they're like, I, I, the relationship you guys have, that's not normal. Like not a lot of people have that or. Or they're in each other's lives and like so on top of each other all the time and they're okay with that or they still want to do things and travel or own a business like all that type of stuff but no it was i really was almost like a little bit of a safety blanket for me uh especially at the beginning of nitro or the beginning of me doing stuff that like really scared the shit out of me or like i was going to be like oh i could end up in the hospital It'd be nice if my brother could take me <laughs> um so he was a little bit of a safety blanket so there was a lot of times that i would just be like hey you know, when I have to do this, can you make sure you can come or you can be here? And uh, he actually did Nitro with me at the beginning. And then he got pretty hurt a few times that he was just like, we would be like, oh, Billy, you want to come? He's like, no, I'm going to start staying home. <laughs> I'll drive your bike there. And then. So Billy started being super selective about like when he came to shoots and what he participated in or what caliber in which he participated in. Because there was a few times. I'm not even sure how my brother survived in Travis's backyard, and I wish he was here to tell you the stories. And even Street Bike Tommy, they, we have some really funny stories between Billy and Street Bike Tommy. This one time where I swear they both should be dead, but they managed. There's to a, get probably it. a lot of stories. Well, there's okay. We have a lot of Nitro stories. If we get into that era we'll of my life, we'll get there. Um, there's definitely a lot of death defying. But back to how I got into motorcycles. Very long-winded answer here, but. Um, 
I just suddenly said to my dad, like, hey, can I ride motorcycles? Get, like, Never really dawned on you. Yeah, like, it didn't dawn on me. Like, I don't know, I'm this small girl. Can I ride motorcycles? Because the two girls that rode in my area at the time was a 40-year-old woman and a 20-year-old girl, you know, like a uh, younger uh, lady sort of thing. And so I didn't see young girls riding with the younger boys. And even then there wasn't the capacity, like uh, there's just so many young kids now, whereas in the 80s, the, the groups were a little bit smaller, right? So, um, and my dad just like looked at me, he's like, yeah, of course you can. Like, it was like almost like a dumb question to him because he didn't see it as like, well, you're a girl, you can't do that. It was never, that was never the reason because people were like, yeah, but your brother rode before you did. Was that... And I was like, no, it was never like that. My dad just didn't know, excuse me, just didn't know if it was something I wanted to do. So as as soon as I showed any interest, he was a little bit hesitant at first just because I was a child that wanted to try everything and then hated most things. So it was like my parents... What's the cheapest bike I can get? I know. So my parents would spend all this money for me to get into like an activity or or a sport or something. And I'd be like, no, I don't like it. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to go. And they were just like again so when i found little things like hockey they were super excited and then when motocross came my dad's like okay well so what is this one's expensive uh my brother had it was one of my brother's old bikes so it was a kx80 okay yeah at 11 so i mean yeah i couldn't touch um at first my dad was not going to get in like invest in getting me a smaller bike it was more about I'm going to put you on the motorcycle. I'm going to hold it, and then you will take off. And then when you need to stop, you come back to me. Because <laughs> I couldn't touch it first. And that was sort of how I learned. Was and then I, and then I was kind of into the, the like 11, 12, where I got had a growth spurt, and then I was I was fine. Um, but not the easiest bike to learn on either. I mean, you, right away you got a clutch. It... Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, I definitely I I recall one of the very first times there was this uh, quarry that we, my dad and brother would go out to ride and practice in. And so dad took me there as one of my teaching, you know, moments. And um, I almost whiskey throttled myself off of one of those like sheer quarry edges (laughs) because I was still learning and making mistakes and, and different things. And dad's like, follow me, go this way. And dad's going that way. And suddenly I'm going that way. And it's like, you know, <laughs> I didn't go off the ledge, luckily, another uh, teaching moment, but. That was when I taught my girls to ride. I, that was, I'm like, okay, where's like the biggest open area? Yeah. They do whiskey throttle. Yes, it doesn't matter. There know, may be some time to, to tail off. To or figure whatever. it out. <laughs> not going to hit stuff. That would have been when you're a clip. Yeah, but I definitely, yeah, had my moments. I, I accidentally whiskey throttled my little bike into my dad's shop once. That was not good. Um, it happened. But then, it, you know, it all comes around and we actually... So did you race right away or was it kind of years later? No, it was just some riding at first. Um, we lived down the street from a, a Canadian racer who was pro for quite a while that most most people as a Canadian will know, Doug DeHaan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Doug lived just down the street and he was a, a pro and very serious about what he was doing. He was making a living at it. So he had a track and... and... He was down here racing in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 He had a really he had a really good Canadian uh, and then crossover Canadian American career for for an an American racer. And so he let us ride and practice at his place. So, you know, once we, you know, the little bit of the quarry, a little bit of field, a little bit of that. And then his was the first track that I rode on and sort of got my legs under. 
Uh, and then the first race I ever did was, I think, in 1992, I believe. Spring or, no, fall, fall 92. So I had just turned 12. Um, and uh, it was uh, the women's class. There was four of us. <laughs> I, I, of course, was the youngest. Um, but that, and that was at Gopher Dunes, which is one of the big uh, Canadian national motocross tracks. And it is all sand. It is probably yeah. the sandiest track, I think, in a lot of... You guys have... It, in all boat. Canada, for That's, sure. Did you ever ride there? Um, There's a really cool track. I, I don't... Remember. I never rode there myself unless we had a national... I can't even remember now. There was nationals there in... The, yes. Yeah, there were. I just don't remember if I specifically myself rode there. Cool. That was a cool place. Yeah. Sandy, too. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Was yeah. that tough, the sand? Had you ridden in sand at all? Well, we practiced because Tilsonburg is only 45 minutes from us. Um, so that was once I started riding and my dad was like, okay, well, if you're going to race, like race on the weekends, we practice every Wednesday sort of thing. Dad didn't want it to be one of those things where you, you just go out and ride, you know, or try to race all the time because racing can be dangerous. And if you don't know what you're doing or you're not practicing. So we sort of, it was, a if you're going to race on the weekends, practice once a week. So we were practice at Doug's and then eventually we just started going to Gopher Dunes and Gopher Dunes became my just like training ground eventually, especially when I got into doing, uh, coming down into the States and racing the women's uh, pro stuff. And then when I helped create the women's national series, um, I trained at Gopher Dunes just because it's the hardest track that beats the crap out of you. Yeah. And so if you can ride that really well or last, you know, 45 minute mode on that you're pretty good everywhere else <laughs> yeah um so there wasn't really you didn't have other girls your age to ride with at all up there no i didn't have um the first girl that i had that was kind of my age to ride with was uh, her name's christina sundahl and she is a few years older than me and i don't think i met her until i was 15 or 16 um, oh no, maybe yeah, about fifteen, and then she became, you know, my rival and my partner, and we would travel together. And then when we started to go down into the states and do Loretta Lynn's, like we would do the qualifiers together, and we traveled. And um, she was a little bit of a, a mentor to me too, just because she was a few years older than me, than me, and she was just always super rad. I was just like, oh, she's so rad. So I just wanted to hang out with her anyway. Um, but yeah, that was the first person that I had in my life, like female that I had in my life that was to my level and to my age before that. It was nice fun too, right? Yeah. So before that, it was all, um, girls that were much older. And then when Walton had the, Walton is our Loretta Lynn's. Yeah. Um, and so that, when we started doing the, the women, that, that class started to get bigger that's when I sort of started to race against more girls from across Canada that were also my age. Yeah. Did you guys come across into Michigan often to race? Like, mm -hmm. what would be close? Maybe Baja Acre? Baja, yeah. Yeah, we rode uh, Baja quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Good. There's a good group of riders. Yeah, all the, the Michigan Mafia boys. I um, spent, yeah, spent some time around all of them. Josh Woods, Randy Valade. Yeah. Um, Tom Barron, okay. Nick Way. Yep. Um, was there riders in Canada or down here, or were you watching pro racing? Like, who did you look up to, you know, as you got more into motocross and, and really liked that? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, we would watch all the, the outdoor races. I, I had more, I guess I was more focused on the Canadian guys that I sort of looked up to more so than the Maybe like JSR. Who was but yeah, there's JSR, there's Doug DeHaan, Marco Dubé. Um, my mind has to pull back pretty hard here. <laughs> I'm trying to get through else. I'm like all the concussions tallied up over the years. <laughs> my well, memory's Darcy, not the greatest to see. Darcy Lang. Yeah, we had Darcy Lang. Yeah, that was a little bit later. Um, but yeah, it's more of the guys that I think I looked up to were in my brother's sort of age bracket. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then it sounds like at some point your dad kind of gave you an ultimatum, huh? Like, yeah, there was a little, like I sort of said, my dad was very much like, hey, if you want to race, like you can't just show up and race all the time. You need to have like a foundation. You need to be working on it. You need to be safe so that when I throw you in a race scenario, you're not, you know, causing problems or being, you know, whatever. Uh, you have control of yourself. And um, it was, again, my dad had sort of feared that it was one of those things a few years in and, oh, I don't really want to do Yeah, it's kind of fun, but it's not fun or this, that and the other. And I, you know, I didn't want to go practice, but I wanted to race or, oh, I'm not feeling like I want to race. And dad had already loaded the bike or whatever it was. And so, yeah, about 14 is when he just was like, hey, either you're going to go and race every Sunday and we're going to practice every Wednesday or I'm selling your bike. And I was like, ooh, selling bike. No, don't do that. So it's a bad ultimate. Did you love it? Like was motocross different than hockey or some of those other things you did that you would kind of lose interest in? Was it? Did it kind of capture you? Yeah. So hockey and motocross were the two things. And then sort of a little bit later, snowboarding. Those were the three things growing up, I think, that really captured me in a way because I was pretty good at hockey. Um, I played hockey from whatever age under 10 till I was 18. Um, and I ended up on the AAA traveling team with the oh. Devilettes. I was a goal. I became a goalie. At first I played out and then one of the teams I was on when I was younger um, sort of cycled through each player would just play the goalie. And so throughout the whole year, every kid played goalie at some point. And so once you know, this surprised me because as a goalie, you've got to be like kind of fearless. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have pucks getting fired at you. And, and that's the thing. I really, like, yeah, I really enjoyed that part of it. And so when they threw me in net, I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I think I like this better than all that other stuff. And, and so I just stayed. And then into the next year, I just said, I'm the goal. Like, I'm, you know, you offer yourself up to whatever team and you sign up, you sign up as the goalie. And I became, yeah, I became a goalie. I was pretty damn good at it. I was really flexible in my life at one point. Now I can barely touch my toes, but well, at one point I could do the split I and I could like, they like move fast off onto their knees. Yeah. The big go out and just watching it makes my knees hurt. Right. Like my knees don't do that. Yeah. Far. And then like there's the goalie drills where you drop down on your knees and then you're up, up, down, down, up, up, down, down. Like I would, I could do that fast. Oh man. <laughs> This was a long time ago before <laughs> before Nitro Circuit. Right now. And trying to be a professional athlete. You're like one hand. Oh, gosh. Now, if I had to do that now, yeah. I'm on a good day, I think I could do it. But then I probably wouldn't be walking the next morning. Was there <laughs> was there a point in your riding where you made like a kind of a, a big leaf? Or was it, was it sort of just a progression where you got better and better? Yeah, I think for me it was a slower progression. There weren't any big jumps. Um you know, I, I raced in the in Canada, and then my dad started to bring me. I don't even know why or how we sort of got introduced to the uh, at the time it was the WML with Mickey Keller, 
okay. um, before it became the WMX. Um, I think Mickey still ran it as it was the WMX, but then eventually I think um, she uh, handed it off to somebody else. Um, but my dad and, you know, my dad would go down to the States and especially qualifying for Loretta, Loretta, Loretta Lynn's, qualifying for Loretta Lynn's. Um, that's when I started to see a little bit more of the competitive side of women's racing. First time I'd ever really seen, I think, really fast and competitive girls racing together was the first time I went to Loretta Lynn's with him and I would just there watching. He had qualified and, and was What racing. year was that? Ish. 95, I think. Okay. I'm trying to think of Possibly. who would have been the fast gals then, like Sarah Whit. No, well, she was up and coming. She was still on a small bike at that point. So it was Christy Sheely. It was D Wood. Okay. Um. Yeah, there's a couple other names. I'm. I'm think I'm just blanking on. Like, I'm, there's a gap between like Mercedes Gonzalez. Yeah. Sufish, so and... yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't those girls. They were a, a little uh, okay. beyond at that point. Okay. Um. But yeah, me basically, I just stood there watching D. And, and Christy battle. And I was like, this is so cool. And I was like, dad, I want to qualify next year. And he's like, okay. And so I did. We dad, he went because he was going to race again too. So I went with him, went through all the qualifying. Whenever you talk about your dad talking, all I'm hearing is Austin Powers and Gold member. <laughs> like I'm hearing him going to talk like that. You know, I don't know. <laughs> My dad does have a very heavy Dutch accent. I mean, he's been in Canada for freaking ever at this point, but he still has a heavy Dutch yeah. accent. That's how I picture him. And I don't know. I didn't notice that my dad had an accent growing up. It was something that somebody actually had to say. Like once someone was like, oh, your dad is really thick Dutch, Dutch accent. And I'm all, he does. <laughs> like, I was just like, it was just normal. It was just normal. But then I think it was like, thick accent when he first got here then it like thinned out a little bit but with his older age i think it's just been coming back is that right or i always think it's, it's interesting that like some people like roger de coster mm. he's as thick of belgian as he was the day he moved over right but then uh let's say chad reed yes he almost sounds like he's from florida california yeah right? yeah it's it's interesting how some people will lose it and some people don't I know yeah so smoking a pancake <laughs> Well, that's definitely not how my dad sounds, but if that's how you want to keep playing it in your head. Um, yeah, so then I, I <laughs> that's how I started um, being introduced to the women in the U.S. that were riding at a, lo a lot intenser level and they were battling against each other and they were, you know, there was a whole series then which i was then introduced to was the wml wml the women's motocross league at the time and the first one of those i think i ever went to was at broom tayoga and um that track wasn't great <laughs> rocky and uh did you like it on there maybe i i think i liked it i try i get i almost get some of the tracks mixed up with it feels like a lifetime ago. I'm not kidding. Like between like my childhood racing, my 20s, Nitro Circus, and now the stunt industry, I feel like I've had just like different lives. And it's hard to remember everything because there's been so much, yep. which I'm, I'm very blessed in that aspect. But it's hard to yeah. it's hard it's hard to ignite memories or pull names where I'm like, oh, yeah. that was a really long time ago. I can see the person's like face in my head, but like their name. That's normal. Yeah. So. About two thousand. When, when did it get real serious for you? Like I, 
the results I found kind of started about 2003. You're winning like Ontario Provincial Championships. Yeah. Then Canadian National Championships in 04. Like, was that sort of when you really got serious or? Yeah. I mean, I was always racing in my teen years and, and we'd go down and we'd do Loretta Lynn's. Um, but we didn't really have a, anything up in Canada besides the Walton National, mm. um, where it would give you the ability to travel or make any type of money or have a, a lot of sponsors or anything like that. Yeah. Was there any, as a, as a younger female rider, did you ever go, okay, here's what I want to get to here? Cause there is no career really for it. No. And, and that stuff again, didn't come until I was in my twenties later, like later teens, twenties when I was around more girls, um, that were of that mind where we're like trying to get on factory teams, which was happening in, in the early 2000s. Um, that's when it became more of like, a, well, is how long can we do this for? Can we get a couple of years of being a pro racer or, or this, that and the other thing? And that's when I started, um, like when I met Sarah Whitmore and started hanging out with her and Jessica Foster, who was another uh, Canadian at the time, who was we were on sort of the same level. She was from uh, originally Sault Ste. Marie, but then moved to the West Coast and her and I uh, battled quite a bit, but also had the same mentality of coming down to the States and wanting to race in the States. And how can we, you know, how can we all get on a factory team together or create a women's factory team? Like we had lots of, lots of dreams. Um, but as a teen, um, I still went to school. Like I went to, I went to um, high school, went to my prom, graduated, went to college. Oh, you did? Yeah. All those things. So I was doing that while still racing and feeling out the racing um, industry, again, I was growing with a time where girls being able to make a little bit of money or get sponsorships or be on a factory team was developing. So in my teen years, um, there wasn't, there wasn't, it, it, it was, I was going to school because I had to get a job and do the things and I would just race for fun. It wasn't like yeah. you were seeing these girls on full rides where you'd be like, oh, I'm just going to homeschool and I'm going to, you know, go on a factory team. Um, uh, There were girls at the time doing that, um, but I was just staying in school. Or going to school for? I went to school for advertising graphics design. Uh, Do you use any of that? I did. So I graduated with honors. I was actually a really bad student for most of my life. Like, as in, I just... Didn't care. Not super book smart. Like I did great in uh, art class, in uh, phys ed, in mechanics class, woodworking. You know, like those ones I did good in. Everything else was not the greatest. You know, maths, English, sciences. Also not interested. <laughs> so that doesn't help, right? So I just was sort of a mid student, like a B's, C's. If I if I got and ever got an A, my parents were ecstatic. But if you know, um. And then I got to college and I was doing something that I enjoyed, something I had chose, you know, for myself. So I actually really enjoyed it. And I got A's everywhere. Like I, like I said, I graduated in, in honors. So if I wasn't getting an A, if I got a B, I was upset at myself. I was almost striving to get A's and A pluses and all, and all that type of stuff. Um, but that was just the beauty of doing something that I, I chose and I actually enjoyed. Yep. And so part of my program, um, you had to do an internship. So I went and um, I did an internship with this place called, um, oh my God, they're going to kill me for forgetting the name. <laughs> Something donkeys. <laughs> wow, how, my memory has gotten that bad. I can't, creative donkeys. Okay. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Jason. Where was this? 
Um, it was in London. It was in my hometown. Um, Creative Donkeys. Creative Donkeys Media. And they handled basically, and that's the reason why I went to them, they handled basically all the Canadian media for um, motocross. So the Kawasaki's website, they did advertisements, they did um, all these things. And they had the connections with the really, really good Canadian moto photographers as well. Like Allison Kennedy, she was this photographer. I remember her. Yeah, Allie. So she traveled around to all the races. And um, so I went and interned with them. And uh, through that internship, they had started um, to uh, talk to Davey about doing a Racer X Canada edition. So there's obviously everyone knows what Racer X is. And at one point, there was a Racer X Canada. Um, and so they had proposed that to, to Davey Coombs that, hey, you know, RacerX does such great things, but we have this whole division of moto up in Canada that doesn't always get the best exposure. RacerX is a great entity and a great magazine that people love, known it for so long. Let's, you know, maybe do a RacerX Canada version. So I came into their um, company while that was sort of happening. So I got to be a part of RacerX Canada and I was a, a yeah editorial layout designer. I got to do advert like do ads in the magazine. And then when I did my backflip, I got to be in the magazine. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. Um, but so when you when was there a point like kind of when you went to college or was it around that time yeah. you kind of you made it because you made a transition from racing to like more stunts, I guess, or or like the nitro circus, mm -hmm. you know that vibe. Which ended up being obviously yes, that was a the good decision. That was the fork in the road for yeah. me. So for when sure. was that? Was it kind of at that time? That was in two thousand and so September two thousand and five is when I landed the backflip at Trav's place, and I had been working for the Creative Donkeys um, for two years at that point. And was still racing, had create, helped create the Women's uh, Canadian National Circuit in Canada. Um, a lot of good things were happening in the, you know, the WMX at that point. There, were, there was like a girl almost on most teams or getting at least factory rides. Uh, in Canada, I was, uh, Jessica Foster was on the Blackfoot, Blackfoot team. I was on the Suzuki OTSFF team. Um, so that was when um, Canadian motocross and even just the height of the women's pro scene had really exploded. Yeah. I think that was unfortunately the the ultimate height, and it's just always it's gone down since, unfortunately, like which is such a bummer. In like oh seven oh eight, mm -hmm. because I was managing Troy's team at that time. We had Tara Geiger. Yep. Um, Factory Honda had Ashley. Yep. Pilek. Jessica Patrick, Jessica was sent uh, off. Who was it by possibly? I think it was Star in the early days. Was that not Sarah? What's well, Sarah? Sarah was Richardson RV Suzuki. Remember? They well, they Tara and Sarah were on the same team at one point. No? Oh my God, my memory is so bad now. We had Tara. For Girl, the let us know. TLD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, all of the teams had a, you know the top teams kind of had a had a email. Yeah. And you guys had their own moto. We raced on Sunday with the gosh brace. Cool. It was gnarly. And for for us, you know, as a team, it was good exposure. It mm -hmm. was like there was people that were stoked to watch it, and it was the depth was a little bit of a struggle. Yeah, it seemed like there was a few girls that were kind of yes. gone. But yeah, there was like a a little bit of a grouping, and then a next grouping. Um, 
I was definite. I you know I was not near uh, Sarah and Tara and Jess. Uh, I was more. If I could get a top ten, I was stoked. You know, in in the U.S. in Canada, uh, I competed um, against uh, Heidi Cook. I don't know if you remember that name from Canadian motocross, but that's uh, that's then there is yeah. So me, um, Heidi Cook, Jessica Foster, Mallory Proc, Navy. Um, Christina Sundahl, those, that was sort of my pack up there. Sure. And, um, I, in coming, in coming down to the States and watching Mickey with the women's program and the fact that the, it had started to be able to give women a platform to ask for sponsorship dollars because there was a program, right? It's like, we have this race program. So you, there's a reason to give girls money in Canada. There was no program. So you'd be like, will you sponsor me? And they're like, for what? You know, so I um, I went back to Canada after, you know, many years of understanding what was going on in the States and went to Mark Stollybrass, who was the owner of the CMRC at the time. And I was like, hey, so this is what's going on in the States. I keep going down to the States. This is what's going on. If we could create something in Canada, which would give these top girls a reason to ask for sponsorship dollars and the people say like, OK, it's worth it. There's a reason. Um we could create a program and then maybe girls could start getting on factory teams here. And so we came up with the women's uh, Canadian nationals and that was um, races across Canada. So we raced uh, East coast and West coast and then uh, Walton. Was that Oh four that started then? Oh, you're asking me. Okay. Years? I'm getting spooky. <laughs> it seems like it was around. That yeah. Way. I feel like it, it was cause okay. cause my sort of peak, personally with racing as in winning the you know winning the Canadian national title and then some of the highest um top tens I got in the states I think was 2004 five six type of thing um and then in 2006 I left racing to join Travis okay so what happened in 2005 because you're still racing yeah but you set the record first female to backflip mm. a big bike ramp to dirt yeah how did you meet Travis how did you get down that path well, I met Travis uh, as a teenager at Loretta Lands, actually. So I'd known quite, Travis quite a long time. Um, I met him through Sarah Whitmore. They were, you know, they dated for quite a bit of uh, time while they were kids. Travis and Sarah did? Yeah. Oh, did yeah. When they, were, when they were kids, they had a, a so cute, that cute, little, between, cute uh, little love affair. It's magical and uh, Travis, no. Oh, absolutely not. No, no. Yeah. It's, um, they are actually like best friends. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So I... yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, we were all hanging out as a, as a group and, and then, uh, in 2005, um, so 2000 and I'll go back just a year prior to give a little bit more depth on it. There was Travis's Nitro Circus DVD started coming out. So Trav, um, being Travis and, uh, you know, we all know who he is and what he likes to do and how he likes to push the envelope and how he's to do fun stuff and like involve his friends. Uh, he started filming all the things he was doing with his best friend Jim and his cousin Special Greg and all the stuff that was happening around the compound when he wasn't training or traveling or doing different things. So they started busting out cameras and, and filming these things. And that's where Nitro Circus was born when he met Greg Godfrey. And there was sort of that production concept came into the craziness of Travis's life. And NC1, or Nitro Circus 1. So there's Nitro Circus 1 DVD, DVD, Nitro Circus 2 DVD. And in the Nitro Circus 2 DVD, they were filming that in 2004, was when 
the backflip had just sort of started becoming something that the guys were doing, right? Not a lot of guys had done it at that point. Was it Metzger 03 that did the first one, right? Uh, or was that 04? Hart. Oh, right. Carrie. Yeah, yeah. Carrie was the first one um, at, yeah, that was documented live. That was that was all of a sudden like, whoa, this is happening. Um, and then, yeah, and then after that, I don't really know, like, Trav. Mets hold it at the uh, X Games. Hart. Doubles. Back to back. Right. Remember? That was the first one that was landed in competition. Okay. Yeah, there's all these different, like, if you go back far enough, the different, yeah, yeah like, this one was pulled, but wasn't landed, then yeah. this one was this landed, then this guy was video. doing it in his backyard, but it wasn't documented because they were trying to keep it secret, and, like, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, but the, those go, those guys were sort of the base of the people that were doing it at the time, and Travis being, you know, envelope pusher and Vader, he was like, I want to get a girl to do it. So... Sarah, they were still dating at the time. And so that was his first ask was, Sarah, do you want to backflip? And she did. She wanted to. So she, you know, put on her put on her boots and started flipping herself into the foam pit. And then Tara, um, sorry, Tara Geiger came down and started to be a part of that. So the two of them were trying to to to, you know, set that record. And Trav was pretty strict about like what he wanted to see in the foam pit before he was letting any anybody go to dirt so he does have some like limitations and standards like he won't just go ah you know go for it i mean uh, when when you watch travis yeah <laughs> you're seeing the later and versions right and it's yeah. like i just think i'm never going out there i've had a couple of invites and i'm like no way <laughs> you should go no well the thing is i break so easy to me i share i know but travis doesn't force anyone to do anything he has a very high influence because of his energy and it's like it's almost this weird dynamic when you get around Travis. It it gives you like this invincibility feel because Travis is just so energetic and you feed off of that. So it makes you want to do things. You don't. That's obvious. I know, but there's there's a, there's this word. It's no. Yeah. My brother learned how to use it early enough. After he broke his ass up, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Because that's a, it was a joke. Billy would be like, when I first started going there. You know, I just kind of would do things because I felt I, I had to or like the pressure or like Trav. I, I feel like I didn't want to disappoint Travis. And he goes, and then I got smart and I'd been going there enough years that I would just look at Travis and go, no, because I knew all he would look. He would look past me in two seconds and find the next person. That's exactly right. <laughs> that is exactly right. There is something. So you Travis, can say right? no. Most people just don't want to say no to Travis first because I feel they'd want to impress him. They don't want to disappoint him. They want to be on his level. Yeah. There's a, yeah. 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 That, but and <laughs> just is so like, he's got so much hair charisma. Mm -hmm. So much. You don't want to like douse it. Yeah. And I think that's how people could. But you won't. And that's the thing is he, he will, if you say no, he'll like, he'll just go to the next person. He's not going to. He doesn't look down at you. Like, I mean, so, some people, it depends on what you're coming from. If you're somebody coming in and coming in hot and maybe coming in with a mouth and then you don't deliver, then you're probably going to yeah. get made fun of. You know, like that's the other thing, too. It just depends. So tell me about that record. How how your evolution to that first flip? Yeah. OK, so the girls were uh, on the Nitro Circus 2 DVD trying trying to do that. And uh, Tara actually became the first girl to do it on the, the 110 on the mini bike. She, yeah. you know ramped to dirt landed that 
And then uh, as she transitioned up to the big bike, she had a, you know, an incident in the foam pit where the bike hit her in the face. She was bleeding. It's actually in one of the videos. And that was sort of it for her. After that, she's like, I'm done. I'm good. Because she had a really, really good racing career with really good deals. And she's like, I'm not willing to get hurt and put all that on the line for what I actually love. Because that's yeah. that's her passion. That was her baby. That was her dream. That was what she was doing. So she's like, I'm good. Peace out. And Sarah kept pushing herself. And she really wanted to do it as well. But she had um, just the inconsistencies of like getting it and then not getting it. Yeah, to the point where it just didn't evolve to the dirt either. And then um, go the next summer and Sarah and Jessica, uh, Jessica Foster from Canada and Sarah Whitmore and I, we were traveling around doing the the women's pro series together. We were in a box van doing a few of the East Coast races together. That was how we were, were going to do those races. And one of the races was at a track you know, just above Trav's house. And then the next weekend we were at, at another track close to Trav's house. So we're like, oh, well, we'll just go to Travis's in between and hang out. And um, again, it's 2005. Travis is looking for content for NC3. And Jolene shows up and sees the phone pit for the first time. And Trav's like, to me and Jess, because Jess hadn't seen it either, and um, was like, hey, do you guys want to try? And Jesse was like, no, I'm good. And I was like, what? All right. I was like, I don't know if I can do it, but I'll try. And I had no concept or hopes like even when you know we had kind of put on the schedule that we was no agenda take a week to Travs. i did not have the agenda of i'm gonna jump into the foam pit and do a backflip nope i was just, we were just going there between races to get some motos in and hang out and have fun so i didn't and it put, really got talked into some yeah crazy shit. so i didn't put my i didn't put any pressure on myself i think which also helped but um yeah, I did a bunch into the foam pit, and you, you learn, and you, you mess up, and you do this, and you do that. Did you have any scary moments in the pit? I, I've gone into a pit a couple of times, and I'm like, that's not as cool as yes. people think. I, I get a little, like, claustrophobic <laughs> down in there, and there's dust. I can't breathe. I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't like it. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, pits are not as fun as people think they are. Everyone's like, oh, the foam pit, it must be so much fun. And I can tell you from many, many years and years of experience and hours like with dirt bikes and BMXs, which are actually worse for like how much work they are, uh, this is not fun, especially when you have a bike and you're learning uh, and that bike's landing on top of you and maybe you got a little crooked and your body's all contorted and the bike's and it's pinned. That's another fun one. It's like and you can't get to the kill switch and there's a tire spinning right beside your head. Then the gas starts leaking and dropping onto like parts of your skin and you're like, oh God, I can't get that on my face. And you're just like waiting for somebody to come dig you out. <laughs> well, you can't stay as calm as you. I usually would just kind of submit to it was the best way. Like eventually I got, you know, better to the point where I wasn't getting tucked under my bike. But in those first, you know, the first bit of learning, you get a good one, you're good. You get a bad one, you're upside down. Bikes on top of you, tires spinning, gas is dripping. And you just have to submit to it and like lay there calm, breathe. And cl I just close my eyes. It's like surfing when you get pitched off a big wave. You just got to yeah. cover your head and go, all right. Yeah. To and then you just sort of wait and you can hear them coming. Yeah, You know, like you can you can feel the different areas that they're stepping because the foam will kind of like. Yeah. And then you can hear someone comes and turns the bike off or whatever it is. And then, you know, you get the hook and they hook and they, they pull you out. And um, no, it can, it can get kind of gnarly and it can hit you and, you know, 
people break bones yeah. and just you know foam's not safe it's just a tool a tool for safer than going to dirt like trav first and carrie were just hawking themselves to mulch you know they didn't have a foam pit i did so nate adams uh had a pit right over here you know and I started on a BMX bike yeah. and then went to a 110, yep. and I never messed with anything past that. Um, and m one of the main reasons was when Metzger's pit burned up. Yeah. And there was a couple scary. of those, and we lost, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the Japanese rider. Taka. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, no, Taka's friend. Um, yeah. I'm brain farting, but. Exactly. I was like, okay, I'm done. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm out. I'm out on that. Did you ever, that fear ever? creep in or was that kind of this was before that probably but no I you guys no, that was that very yeah that? we had uh sort of the protocols of the pit um one you know you wrap your uh your pipe so that when when the foam does get to it it doesn't ignite it or get it as hot as fast um the other thing was as soon as you landed you get your foot in between like you kick the the foam away from the hot spots so you just sort of get into these different things um, fire extinguishers all around the hose pulled over and turned on um, you try to take as many safety measures as possible Trav had all of those really good um, fire retardant to a degree uh, foam foam box instead of just a bunch of like old mattress stuff that would go up faster yeah um, and yeah yeah you do your best you can but obviously uh, we've seen um, we've seen foam pits go up. I mean, Red Bull lost their entire massive $250,000 foam pit. Um, that one burnt down oh, over really? California. That, that's up in like Wyvern Ranch, that one? Yeah, there was like the Red Bull training compound yeah, at one point. We filmed there with Nitro at, uh, and when we did a bunch of stuff into that foam pit and then I think like half a year later, somebody was doing snowmobile stuff into it. I can't remember exactly who, so I don't want to, I'm possibly Heath Frisbee, but possibly not. Um, and then that, that pit, the person got out luckily, but the pit was gone. And it goes up like that when it goes, yeah. that's just, anyway. Yeah. Um, foam pits. Foam pits. They're not. That's a whole other conversation, yeah. right? Yeah. You can have a whole... So take me through that process of, you, you know, you got it into the pit, obviously. Yeah. Okay. So I, I had done the, the 110 and, uh, took that to dirt, landed that, and that was super exciting and a, and a whole thing. Uh, and we, we had come to the end of our week and needed to leave by that time anyway. And, and so I just sort of said to Travis through the process, I was like, I can do this on a big bike. And he's like, are you sure? And I was like, oh yeah. I was like, if you have the time to come back whenever I'll come back and, and I'll, I'll do this. And he was like, okay. So he sort of looked at his schedule and he's like, in a month from now, <laughs> I'm home for two days. <laughs> And Trav has like one of the gnarliest schedules of anybody in the world. Uh, and I was like, cool, I'll be here. So my dad and my brother and I drove down. And first, you know, just a few on the little bike to kind of get refresher. And then right into the big bike, I had two days yeah. into the pit. And Trav was like, yeah, at the end, you know, we have all day Saturday and all day Sunday. And then I have to go. And so full day into the pit on Saturday. And Chab was sort of hoping like, yeah, if you have wrapped your head around it by the end of the day on Saturday, take you to dirt on Sunday. But he had set sort of a, he's like, you need 10 in a row, basically. That, many. that was that was his rule at the time. I don't know what his rule is anymore. But at the time when everybody was still learning, that was the rule was 10 in the pit consistently so that he, he could see that if he's going to take you to the back 
elements will come into play where you're probably going to make mistakes because things have changed. You're not in a foam pit anymore. It's a different run in. There's all these elements that you're going to have a little bit of a shift. You won't have that consistency anymore, but you've found enough of a consistency here. I can think I can trust you back there, right? Chap's not interested in killing people and he's not really, you know, he's not interested in sending people to the hospital. That's not what he wants. He wants to just see people push the envelope, people have fun, set world records, you know. Um, and so Saturday, I was, I couldn't find a consistency. I would do a bunch good, then I would mess one up. You know, I'd get to seven and then have a bad one and then you'd start all over, you know. So it was just like hard. It was a hard day, but I didn't stop all day long. And um, at the end of the day, I started to find a little bit more of a consistency, but I was tired. You know, you go into the foam pit that many times and then just your brain learning something new and, and all that type of stuff. I was really tired. So we packed it in and Saturday mo- or Sunday morning, it was like, okay, wake up, go down to the pit. You get 10 in a row. Let's just go like while you're fresh, straight to the back. Um, so we went down and started flipping, you know, eight, nine, 10. I was like, I got to do another one. 11, 12, 13. Trav comes down and how many has she done? And my brother's like, I don't know. I lost count at this point. And Trav's like, but more than 10? He's like, yeah, way more than 10. And then one of the neighbor kids is like, she's ready for dirt. Get her out of that foam pit. Like type of everyone's at that point, they're making fun of me because I was like, get out of the foam and get to the back, do it. And so I just came out from one of them. And I looked at my brother, I go, we need to go right now. <laughs> Like, right now, we need to go to the back. So Travis had Hubert prep everything so that when I did have that moment, we could just go straight to the back. Um, And that's what happened. We all, you know, everyone got on their whatever, and we headed out uh, to where they had it all set up. Did you feel confident at that point? or I did. When you lined up, were you like, oh, no, this is like to dirt. This is for real. Did the anxiety... Oh, of course. I mean, I was super nervous. I... I was committed at that point that like nothing was going to stop me yeah. like for real like I was like no I'm going to be the girl that does this like hands down I don't care what it takes I will crash my face off but I will get up and I will do it again and again and again until it happens and I did just that because I did not land the first time oh you didn't oh god no <laughs> oh one out if you watch the uh Nitro Circus 3 DVD NC3 um it shows the crashes and they were pretty aggressive. The one cracked my chest protector and like winded me hard. I'm glad it didn't break any ribs because that was on a Suzuki. Sucked. Right? Yeah, it was on a, a 125, an RM125. Uh, I'll keep like kind of getting around but landing and. Yeah, it was, it was, well, just because my flip in general was very messy and it was like almost like a two stepper where you pull and then you pause and then you pull and it was just a lot of people um flip like that when they first learn they don't just get the nice pull stay in it look back and and have the body stay in that s- sort of position for the rotation there's a lot of movement when people are learning um so by the time you get that rotation coming around you're not in control right it's like when you flip around. yeah when you flip properly you see everything and you can ch- you can adjust it so if you're you know, if you're coming in a little too hot and you're over-rotated, you just push the bars out, slow the bike down, you bring your front tire. If you're coming in too short, you tuck up really hard and you can get it to spin a little bit faster. You don't have any of that. You don't have that knowledge. You don't have that capability when you're first. You're just like, oh, please, 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 please. Yeah, just freeze. Yeah. Um. So when I landed, I, I was very spaghetti on the bike, right? So anytime I wasn't coming down with 
the bike sort of luckily landing in a good place, I just took a really hard hit. So the first two, the one I actually, I think I was over rotated anyway, and then I landed smashed into the side of the wall. And But luckily enough, it wasn't like I was upside down and uncommitting and crashing. I was on the bike for the full rotation. I just was fucking up the landing. The landing, yes. Use the language. Um, so it was three. It was magic number three where I landed it and rode it away. Um, and then, yeah, it was, you know, everybody got excited. We celebrated. Just do that one. And oh, yeah, that, that, at that point, it was one and done. I did it. I got the record. Now I'm going to just like sit here for a moment because I'm in pain from the first two that didn't work out and from just two days into a foam pit. You did a lot. Even like the process of jumping into a foam pit, hooking the rig up, pulling the bike out, you climbing out. Mm-hmm. Like, you did a, you know, a 14, I don't... 14, 15 times yeah. one morning. Uh huh. That's a lot of work. And then I crashed twice pretty hard. Like I said, the one time winded me really good, crashed, cracked my chest protector. So the hits were, you know, it was. Yeah, a, they were coming. Yeah, they they were pretty aggressive. Um, but at the time, in that was that was September 2005. And if, for as much as we can remember the count of the people that were flipping and learning to flip at the time and the people that had landed it, because obviously with it being such a small community and people knowing what each other were doing and it really only being the big names that were pushing themselves to to learn this. Um, I was the first woman, but I was also in the top 10 of people ever. So I think I was number nine sort of in the world of, of humans that backflipped uh, a dirt bike. And I'm obviously in, in some really awesome company there. Uh, yeah. So listen, cool. I, I have, like I said, I jumped a mini bike in and I drew the line. He said, I'm, <laughs> Nope, that's it. And uh, uh, yeah, well, the cool thing about that whole process, like I said about the safety blanket with my brother, was he did the whole thing with me. Yeah. So the whole process into the foam pit and back to dirt, Billy actually flipped first before me. So my brother landed his first backflip to dirt right away and flipped before I did. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Damn! Look at Billy go. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> that's pretty cool. <laughs> my uh, dad did not want to be left out, so he wanted to flip. He was like, I want to be the oldest guy to flip. We never got to that point with it, but he did flip the the mini bike into the foam pit. He did? Yeah, and he loved that, so that was pretty cool. So that's it's all documented in NC3, which is pretty cool. It's like a, a family kind of uh, segment of yeah. me, my dad, and my brother. It's a family thing. It's a family thing yeah. since day one, yeah. Um. <laughs> you have a long list of things here. We are, yeah. we are only up in here. I told you it's going to take a while. This is why you lured me and said three hours and... Roll your eyes, I'm telling you. <laughs> Take a look. 2006, you go, you're back to Canada. Drink. You win the Canadian National Championship again. Um, and then you set a distance record for flipping. Why did you do that? I mean, I think... Ramp to dirt. Yeah, so when I first flipped, um, it was... Uh, we didn't, obviously it was very small. It was like a, a, a sort of a step up and it was a smaller gap. We didn't measure any type of distance. But uh, after that, I just wanted to flip a uh, cop ramp because the original flip was off like a super kicker. Yeah. Um, and in my head at that time, I was, you know, really wanting to get into freestyle and, you know, do lots of tricks, but also just be able to flip regular comp. Um so that's where that came into play, where I was just like, okay, well, let's, you know, we went back to Trav's and um, ended up 
doing whatever that one was. And that was off of a comp ramp, a regular freestyle setup. So did you, how do you progress to that? Like, are you, were you going into the foam pit again? Yeah. So I just went back to Trav's and um, did a couple off the wall. Trav has like that ramp off the wall there. Um, did a couple off of there just to kind of get your bearings on flipping again. Uh, and then I, I don't even really totally remember if I'm honest, but I just started flipping 65 feet cop ramp into the foam pit. Travis, just how do you judge that? Because that Travis. foam pit's not very like deep. I mean, what no, street but, bike Tommy? Yeah, that was on a street bike and he didn't know what he was doing right. because he never, I at least had like already started building a foundation with the, done it on the mini bike, then went to the big bike and did it off of the different ramp sizes. And then Trav just told me, like, he's like, I'm going to set the ramp here. You're going to land about here if you hit the ramp doing this. And so, like, was it second or third gear? Um, Those were all first. First gear? Oh, wow. Maybe that was second by the time I was doing that, though. Off the wall was first. Yeah. You're making me ask. 60 feet. I, mean, I can't imagine you're going. You're making me think. You have to think so hard here. Um, I, mean, I got to think it's at least. Yeah, yeah. So second gear for the 65 off of the comp ramp and then so i just started going into the foam pit um and then yeah we took it to the back it didn't go good the first time i crashed pretty hard um i turned out it was just one of those ones where i pulled i didn't come in with enough speed i didn't pull hard enough and then i knew it and so i just turned out of it and bailed oh. um and then uh and i i came I, my bike i wrecked my bike so we had so we had to go home and fix my bike but then as soon as my bike was fixed we came back down and i did it again um and that's and yeah and then i landed it and that was in one of the other videos and so that was another one and done like all right at the time yeah it was very well also cuz i was still wanting to be you know a racer type of thing i was still wanting to race uh so i wasn't trying to like really hurt myself and put myself out so I wasn't trying to just like lock in the backflip. It was just sort of, I was doing it as it was People. coming up. Yeah. yeah. Like things would come up and Trav would be like, oh, let's go here and do this. Or, or, or I was like, oh, I want to try this. Um, and then it was sort of into the next year where uh, I left racing to become part of Nitro Circus full time. And I quit my job in Canada. And because um, after I flipped, Trav just started inviting me to all the, um, film shoots for the for the DVDs. So he was just He's like, like, "This chick's crazy. I'm prettier everywhere I go." <laughs> well, that that was sort of the thing. Trav was like, you know, you're fun to hang out with. You're durable. You're um, you're stubborn. You know, you have a, a talent base. You have a motorcycle base. Like there's yeah. there's all those elements that sort of make uh, somebody that you can bring along into that type of an atmosphere and. And I showed him all of those, especially with the backflip. Like he knew a lot of those things prior to, but through the process of watching me crash my face off and literally just get back up and ride back over and do it again, uh, you know, like there's there's something to be said about that type of a personality. And then also at the end of the day, you take your gear off, you can go hang out and have fun and your friends, like that whole dynamic has to come into some type of a, a really good place for Trav to be like, yeah, why don't you come to all the shoots? You know, like he didn't just offer that up to, to anybody and still doesn't. Still, you know, the people come and go out of Travis's life all the time. And there's only certain people that have sort of stayed over the longevity of things. Yeah. What It says you got hurt at the end of that year. What happened that year? End of 06. Don't remember? I don't even know. Uh, 
Okay. 2006. How did that get hurt? I don't know. It says your your season was cut short by an injury that year. Hmm. That's what the interwebs told me. Oh, yeah. No, that was the year. Uh, same year I won the Women's Canadian National, correct? Canadian National Championship. Yes. Okay. So that's what happened. So we were at the last race in Calgary for the Women's National Series. Wild Rose Raceway. Mm-hmm. That place is cool. And there was, you know, at that time, we had a pretty full women's gate as well, which was awesome in Canada. And unfortunately, right off the start, one of the younger, more inexperienced girls decides to just sort of whiskey throttle through the entire field and took out like everybody, everybody. There is a massive uh, first uh, corner crash. And so I was one of the people that took like a hard brunt of that. And I ended up sort of super manning my head into the ground and like almost like a reverse whip like my head was down here on my chest and then I hit the ground so it was like I tore all everything in my neck hyperflexion yeah and so I for like months I couldn't hold my own head up it was like one of these types of things but then um I snapped my wrist in half as well and then it was just the hit in general sort of knock the wind out of yourself different things um but they so they red flagged luckily um and then they they got us back going but you didn't get back from the bike i did so i'm trying to again i'm trying to remember your, these stories i haven't thought of these stories in so long um so i think they restarted that one right do you remember chris Palmeroy? is that a name that tri- triggered through yeah, my head i don't know why though he was a pro racer again another with Doug, yeah, with that whole group, uh, someone I looked up to was, uh, and so he was my, he was helping, he actually helped pull me off, like, the track, get me going, and brought me back to the start, and was like, are you okay, do you think you're okay, and I'm just like, no, I'm not okay in any capacity, but if I DNF, I don't win the championship, um, so I, I think I went out and rode just with gathering myself up together, and not really know what was broken or what was hurt or anything um i and i think i only because because i had had a pretty good points lead i only needed to finish in some position i can't even remember what position it was but if i finished in this position overall i would still win um the overall so i just sort of got myself out there and then came back and that's when i was racing for the otsf F team um andre lauren and my bike, you know, was broken and needed to be fixed. And I was broken and needed to be fixed. And um, they just were like, they kind of wrote it off. They're like, okay, you're done. And I was like, oh, hell no, I'm not. I was like, I need to go out there. And if I finish, I think, top six at that point, if I just finish in sixth, I will win. So I was like, no, you're going to fix my bike and we're going to duct tape my wrist together. And I'll, you know, just do my best. And they were very adamant, like as a team, they were like, no, like you shouldn't go out there. You should go to the hospital. You're very hurt. You've snapped your wrist in half. I was, I. Put some duct tape on. I was, I, I was so hell bent. I was just like, if you don't fix my bike, I will ride it as it is, but I'm going out there. So either help me or don't, but get out of my way. And Andre was like, yep, that's Jolene. Okay. So we're going to fix her bike. (laughs) And then the, like, um the athlete um trainer at the time uh drew he was like he duct taped my wrist and basically made it into like a cast of sorts uh i can't remember exactly what we did with my neck because i could barely hold my head up 
Uh, but I got back out and I think I ended up, I, I got the fifth or the sixth or whatever it was. But I, that was the most painful moto I think I'd ever endured just by like sheer will. I cried the entire time because it hurt so bad. Um, but I I was on the top of the podium and I won the national. So I was just like super stoked. And you really had a fractured nose. And then I went to the hospital and yeah, they had, I have a T-plate. So I have a plate and seven screws that hold my hand together because it was snapped in there. That's gnarly. <laughs> so that's the injury that cut my, yeah. so that is, um, that national I think was in like July and then I was supposed to, after that, I was supposed to go race a couple of more American rounds and the Walton National. Um, but I, that's why, I think that's why it said it cut my season shorts because I couldn't, I had to go up surgery. Um, okay, so in tw 2007, it says you won the Trans-Canadian Grand National Championship. What is that's that? That's that one. Oh, that's, that's the that. one I'm talking oh, about. Okay. That's the one I just told you about. The and how was that different than Canadian National Champion? What's they're the same. Oh, it's the same thing? Yeah, okay. they're the same thing. I don't know why there was something that would have yeah, separated her tays. Yeah, so. Oh, it might have just been two different documents that uh, titled it differently, okay. but it's the same thing. So Trans Canada. Um, oh, wait, no, that's Walton. Now I'm even confused. So there's the Canadian National, which was the CMRC full, like, east-west uh, kind of thing. And then. Oh, Walton. Nash the, yes, Walton is the Trans Can National. Period. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yes. So, I, I won that. Yeah, you won yeah. that. No, so, okay. So, okay. then you became the first woman to backflip into the Grand Canyon. And yes. this, like, anytime I, your name gets mentioned, that's the first thing I picture, is you on the back of that bike with Travis jumping into the Grand Canyon. I just think, what kind of freaking lunatic gets on the back of it? Anything with Travis Pastrana at the helm. But then, like, jumping into the Grand Canyon, and that video, it's like... <laughs> You're falling for so long, and I, I mean, yeah. it's, I, every time I watch it, my palms start sweating. I was like, <laughs> take, that, "Take that, Tom Cruise!" Totally, suck it, Tom Cruise. <laughs> did you skydive a lot before? I mean, obviously, you don't just go do that. So, like, no. How did that happen? Yeah, this. Uh, you obviously made an impression on Travis, so he's inviting you along. Yeah, at that point, um, I started to go to a lot of the the Nitro Circus stuff, and was sort of the. Um, honorary first you know female of, of the crew and and was involved in all the filming at that point um so we were actually at greg godfrey's house in uh utah and this was while we were filming something else planning another thing and travis was starting to carve out what he wanted for his 199 live documentary and so the, for the end of his documentary, he wanted to ride off into the sunset with a blonde on the back of a motorcycle, but then cut to the sunset is the Grand Canyon ah, sort of thing. Um, so that was his concept. And we were in Greg's kitchen and I, I don't even, they were talking about something. I walked up and it was, well, oh, well, there's Jolene. She's a blonde chick. And I was just kind of like, yeah, what? And he's like, do you think you want to? And I was like, yes. And he's like, you don't even know what I'm going to ask you. And I was like, yeah, but the answer is yes. I was like, at that point, I had been doing so much stuff with Trav that I hadn't said no to anything. I just was along for this amazing ride doing rad shit. And I was always saying yes to everything, which in lieu, I got hurt a lot. But there was also a lot of great content, a lot of fun times, world records. 
Uh, so I was not really saying no to many things. So I almost felt like I didn't even need to know what it was. I was just going to say yes anyway. And he's like, no, no, pump the brakes. You're going to want to, you're going to want to hear this. You're going to want to hear this. Like this was Greg Godfrey. Cause Trav was like, okay. You know, he's like, I got to take her. I'm not going to ask any questions, but Greg at the time being more the reason, the voice of reason, which is also insane. Cause Greg Godfrey is not a voice of reason. He is a muscle hamster. Um, and he was just like, no, no, like, you could want to hear what it actually is. And I was like, okay. And Trav's like, I want to ride a motorcycle off of the Grand Canyon. He's like, you know, remember what I did on my, because Trav had already done it once, right, on his uh, dirt bike by himself. Yeah. He's like, remember when I jumped in the Grand Canyon? And I was like, yes. He goes, I want to do that again, but I want to do it with you on the back. We ride, and then we base jump, parachute off. And I was like, all right, answer's still yes. <laughs> like, I just... There was had, no hesitation. He's done now skydiving prior to this? Never skydived oh in my, my life. <laughs> what? Well, I had never skydived in my life. Um, and I actually have a fear of heights, which most people don't even believe when I say. But um, I was like, yeah. Like, so we then went almost straight into, okay, well, let's start planning this because we want to do this here. So you need to learn how to skydive before we can obviously put you on a motorcycle to skydive um so travis sent me and his best friend jim to champ down because once the ball got rolling on this concept it was there was more things in play it's, yeah. it at that point it's not just going to be me and travis right it was, and even once i started thinking about it i was like well if i'm going to go learn to skydive jump a bike into the grand canyon we're there the ramps are there it's all set up it's the opportunity that doesn't happen very often and i was just like uh i called trav and i was like hey i have a thought and he's like yeah and i was like can after you and i do our jump can i do a jump by myself where i just do a backflip into the grand canyon on a dirt bike so i can say like i bet first and only girl to ever backflip a dirt bike into the grand canyon he's like oh that's a hell of an idea yeah okay i'm gonna call jim because we're gonna get jim to do it and then we're gonna maybe maybe so and so will want to do it with us and then we can do like a three one where you're like you go i go this go and i was just like all of a sudden trav is trav and he's like all these ideas um so then jim all of a sudden got sucked into it jim had never skydived in his entire life either at that point he was a pro mountain biker he actually became the first um mountain bike guy to do a front flip so that was sort of one of the things that he was known for or is known for and um so trab sends us to skydive arizona and we live there <laughs> basically um i can't remember how long we were there three weeks a month maybe and we lived at the drop zone and we just jumped constantly to like times a day I don't even remember. I mean, there's there's a certain amount of which you can, depending on weather. You need days because there's some days you can't jump. There's some days maybe you can only jump once. Then there's the process of the um, the cert certification. So of how you have to go through that. There's the in-class. Then there's the tandem. Then there's like all these things, hop and pop, blah, 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 blah. And then you start ticking them all off. And then you get to, is it jump like 35 maybe where they c call you certified? Um so we were there, we were doing that, and we get certified, and and we're we're good to go. <laughs> is this is this paying money? Are you getting paid decently? Um, at this, I mean, point, you're spending a month of your life just learning to do something that's required for this one yes. stunt you're gonna do. Like, yeah, that's crazy commitment. I mean, yeah. necessary, but so um, uh, travel, accommodations, and food were paid for. Oh my gosh. 
All right. It was for the love. You needed an agent. It was for the love. <laughs> you needed an agent. At the no, like at, at the time, we we were just so stoked to be doing stuff that like no one had ever done. Yeah. We were tapping into. I mean, I was traveling the world doing rad stuff with my friends that no one had ever done before. I wasn't really worried about a paycheck. I wasn't costing me anything to do it. I was a single girl in my 20s. I had nothing that I needed to really be paying. Like, it's not like I had kids or bills or a house or like, I had nothing in that respect that it was like to just be out doing this awesome shit with my best friends. I didn't care. Like, I didn't need to be making money almost. It was like, that was fulfilling enough. And it was, it was truly about like the drive, the will, the passion, whereas, you know, if people are just all about the money, it's, it's, I don't know. To me, that's just different. When when you are willing to do something for free because you love it so much, that's different than someone that's, I'm never going to do that unless they pay me this. I know you can get to that point in life because I've definitely got to be a happy medium though. Where I'm like, yeah. I don't want to do that. You don't, you want to pay me what? Or you're not going to pay me at all? You were risking <laughs> your life. I promised you Travis was getting paid. And he's just like, hey, I'll cover your uh, food and lodging down there while you. Again, I just was super stoked and having fun, you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't too concerned about it. So take me through that day. Uh, you do the skydiving thing, you get certified. Get certified. Any other like prep or I don't know how you even prep for something like that. Well, no, I mean, no, there was. I just like, okay, so what's going to happen? Yeah. We get on the back. We're going to send it. We know how to ride bikes. There's the first one. We know how to hit ramps. Uh, we've just learned how to skydive travis got you know like was already certified from long ago but refresh came and spent some time with jim and i and jumped with us a bunch and we just went there we we brought the best people that we knew in each division obviously we were sort of set on the skill set of motorcycles and ramps and ramp builders and different things um but then we kind of called in some base jumping people so we actually uh wanted shane mcconkey at first I uh, wasn't available, so he then recommended Eric Rohner to us, who, as we all know, Eric then became part of the Nitro Circus. Uh, we unfortunately lost Eric. Um, and Shane. In a, in, yes, in Shane. Uh, and, and doing what they loved, unfortunately. Um, but so that's where Cut to Eric becomes part of our lives. We had no idea who this person was. He was just sent by Shane, so we knew he was like reputable then we saw like a bunch of his footage and and you know uh, found out more about him and we're like okay cool eric nice to meet you sort of thing and we brought some of the guys from the drop zone that we had trained at especially the one guy justin who trained us for the most part Uh, we brought him just to again someone that helped us learn was a safety blanket he was there to help and like be safety as well for us for everything is due make sure all the shoots were packed properly and like all that type of stuff yeah um and yeah then we just went and you it's it's a pass or fail you put you put everything together in that moment and it happens or you fucking die but what was the conversation like okay when we do this like the bike is gonna because you got to get clear of the bike. You guys have to get clear of each other. I mean, huh. was there strategy at all? I'm just thinking, <laughs> certainly you didn't just wing it. Did you really? I mean, yes and no. And I laugh only because I'm still here. Um, but. Uh, the video is the same. Okay. Yeah. So. No, no. I just, if it's a call you need to do, we can, we can take a break for a second. I just need some. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I mean, we plan. It's nitrophysics, which is something we refer to a lot of stuff where it's we have no one else has done it. It's not like there's a book. It's not like you can call someone up and say, well, how did that go for you? What do we need to change to make it better? Uh, we're doing it for the first time. So we're using nitrophysics. We're using all of our knowledge to the best of our abilities and the best of the people that we can surround us with that are good at what they do. And then you just kind of take a deep breath and you go and you do it and you put those things all together. Um, that also being a really important factor, I think, for being a Nitro Circus member was understanding your limits and capabilities, being able to implement them, being able to stay calm if they go wrong. And then being able to uh, figure it out to survive. Um, and if if you don't have a lot of those things, you're probably gonna not going to make it very long in that crowd. Um, so luckily, we were all people that have those abilities and capabilities that when we thought something was going to go one way and it didn't, we're still here. Yeah. Um, and that is sort of uh, what happened at the Grand Canyon that day. Um, Travis had jumped um, his dirt bike in, so he knew that input, we had that, um, but we'd never jumped a street bike in. So we, there was just sort of the thought that it was going to be similar. Um, not so much, a little bit different. I mean, you're on the back. I was. You have pegs for your feet? Yep, yeah. Because I just imagined on the back, even when you kind of hit the ramp, was there like... I jumped. Oh, yeah. I like went halfway up Travis's back and had to grab him and pull myself back down onto the motor. I almost like flew off <laughs> when we got to that. Yeah. Um, so we did the the street bike first um, and then we did all the, the other stuff afterwards. But the bike, again, Nitro Circus budget, Nitro Circus physics, these bikes were not very good so they made it just as far as they needed to until it became trash and that bike didn't work very well the first time we went to like take off and get going it stalled oh my gosh yeah great <laughs> and it was one of those things that were like okay let's revisit what's happening right now fix that we need to at least make it to the ramp in order to do this stunt um and then uh yeah we take off and just as you said, you know, we're we're going across wood planks, uh, um, not two by fours, uh, sheet, she, yeah, yeah. Um, so sheets of wood is our run up, and then we get to this. It's no Tom Cruise ramp. I don't know if you've seen the Mission Impossible ramp that he ended up jumping when he did go into, you know, off into whatever canyon he went into. But like that thing's long and beautiful and flat and straight and like has like this. Yours look like I built beautiful wood. transition. Yeah, wood. Um, ours was a little bit different. It was, you know, we had like a five thousand dollar budget, not a five million dollar budget. So our ramp was a little, sh a little shorter. Um, and yeah, we had that pretty bad sort of geo when we were on first I'm bouncing just because like going down the the runway that was a little janky. And then we get to that last and I bounce even harder and then we go off and I'm like, OK, here we are. And the plan was that as the bike goes off, I get off the back. I'll just sort of push myself kind of like Superman, push Superman, push yourself off the back. And then Trav would, you know release the bike and then we'd get away and we'd be able we'd have separation from each other right yeah um so in my head i'm like okay just as soon as we get off the ramp get yourself off the back of the bike well 
as soon as we went off the ramp, the bike just went and yeah. dropped, right? Gravity just full with all that. Travis is doing like a one-hander and you guys are nose down. Yeah, this all that weight and the bike just drops. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I have to get off the back. So I go to push myself, like I'm holding on to Travis and I go to push myself, but because of we're going down this way, the gravity was just pushing me into him. So I'm basically just like glued to his back and I couldn't really figure out how to get myself off. And I didn't like... You don't want to roll. I mean, there's you have two seconds to be thinking yeah. of like what you need to be doing and what was supposed to be happening and what's now happening. Um, and I just couldn't get free of him. I felt like I was just magnetized to his back. And I know like obviously through discussions and his head, he's like, what's she doing? Why is she not getting off the fucking motorcycle? Like what is happening? She And I part of the like joke is I would always try to do things longer or better than the guys. So when we would do skydiving or different things i would always wait to pull longer than they would like that was one of the things they're like oh jolene's waiting two seconds longer you know so in his head he was like what is she doing she trying to stay on the bike longer than me this is not what we talked about like she's supposed to get off so like he finally was just like we're not both going down like if she wants to stay on i'm out so he got himself off of the bike and by doing that i was finally able to like move have a little bit of freedom and I just, I was just like, I just need to get away from this motorcycle as fast as I can. So if you watch the video long enough, you can see he gets off and then the bike kind of rotates. And then you see me grab the handlebars because I could get the bike. And then that's when I was able to sort of push the bike away from myself and then get to my belly so that I had separation from the bike. But into that point, I was, it was just a survival mode where I was like, I'm just doing whatever I can to make whatever happen and hope that I have enough ground, like the ground's not going to come, I have enough, enough uh, flying time. I mean, you knew at that point how long you had it. Oh, not long. Yeah. The, you're counting in your head and those seconds are, you know, going away quite quickly. And so by the time I got the bike away um, and managed that one without panicking and killing myself, I turn and I open just fat like again I needed to do things as fast as I could because I knew I didn't have much time I open and when I open I'm going right towards the cliff too so then I you know you're supposed to sort of open the other way and have lots of time and not have to panic and so I'm headed right towards the wall of the canyon so I just reach back as hard as I can and pull one side to flip myself around and I was very very close to the wall at that point and then I finally you know get to the ground land everything's fine like you're like oh my god and you're celebrating um and then trav and i like ran to find each other but he actually thought for the first few moments when he had landed before he could talk to anybody and like ask he thought i died he thought i was he thought i was taught like taught um stuck to the bike or like something had got caught because he just didn't understand why first of all i was still on the bike and he had to get off and then when he got off i was still on the bike like he we just like that communication obviously came later when we i i sort of we were able to discuss what had happened and from my angle i'm, I'm tracking out i look back and she's still with the bike she's facing the canyon it looks like they're about to hit i'm just like if she doesn't open i'm just going in <laughs> i gave him the thumbs up i was like i'm good i'm good and he's like <sighs> I got some crazy friends. So was he in a panic? When he was in a panic. He, for the first time in his life, he uh, he thought like I just killed one of my best friends. Like this is the worst feeling in the world. I just, it's my fault. She shouldn't have been here. Like he's going through all these things. And then it was like, no, no, Jolene's okay. Everything's fine. She's over there. 
and he was just like oh my god so you know like that reunion of us like coming together to celebrate was even more intense because he thought he had uh he was taking responsibility for me dying in that moment um so it got crazy it got gnarly and i you know we just did the best we could when shit went sideways uh but that was not the worst one of the day later really? later that day travis almost killed himself so did you go back up and you flipped in too yeah so then we went back up and we did the um singles where i did i flipped the dirt bike travis did his double flip into the pit and then jim went through the middle and just did like a, a straight air and then we did that three-way and that game. was all no problem. Yeah, that one we had no hiccups, no issues. Nobody got stuck on anything. Everything went really well. And did you have any hesitancy after what had just happened, like kind of getting nope. to the wall? You were just like, I was there for a purpose, and I was going to do everything I was there for. <laughs> I had, I had, I had said to Trav that that's what I wanted to do. I had committed to it, and I, in my mind, I was like, no, I'm here to do these two things. I survived this one. I'm still here. I'm fully capable. This will not go as bad. <laughs> like this one, I, that one I actually wasn't as worried about. You have more control of that one. Well, I was, yeah, I was not just on the back of a, you know, a bike. I was in control of the whole situation and on a motor, uh, dirt bike, which is lighter. Um, so where did he find all these bikes? So there's just a big... Greg Melfry just bought them from that. somewhere. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was just, we had to go pick them all up with the helicopter. So they put them all into the net and they raise it up and... We had to take out everything we brought in. Yeah. So we just had like this flatbed full of rubble um, after the weekend. Um, but yeah, then Eric, who'd never ridden, amazing ski base jumper, amazing like um, skydiver, skier, pro. Rotor and Shane McConkie are both skiers. Yes, uh, that became ski base, skydive base jumpers. Um, and uh, he wanted, he's like, well, I want to do that. We're like, okay. But he'd never ridden a bike before, so he's off to the side. But we're learning how to run. While we're doing all this. I think it was Randy. Um, was it Randy Richardson from Michelin? I think was off to the side. I think that was. I think it was Randy. I'm pretty sure it was Randy. That was sort of like running him through how to ride a bike and getting them all dialed. Well, and so he's over there whiskey throttling and stalling and like doing all the things to get ready to jump into the Grand Canyon. Lo and behold, he he managed it, you know, killed it. That was awesome. And then Travis had his third jump of the day that he wanted to do. And um, that's when it got really hairy. Travis miscalculated something and didn't pull. And then he pulled two seconds and then hit the canyon. And we thought he was dead. And we couldn't the get... Side. Mm -hmm. And then he just like tumbled down the cliff and then one off off of one cliff ledge onto another cliff ledge through all of this cactus and his parachute literally opened seconds before he hit so we honestly thought he was dead in the impact like the initial impact um and because we had no communication with him and he was on the edge of the canyon wall they had to bring the helicopter in as close as possible to try to like see if they could find movement on him before they like anybody could go in to like see if he was okay or like retrieve him um and it took you know we had to get the helicopter up this that and the other thing and just in those moments all of us are at the top waiting to just hear like we any never movement? Radio, like nothing no like is there any movement do you see him move no i see him i see him is he moving no he's not moving like so i'm already bawling because i again i thought he was dead and 
we all sort of did. And finally, Greg Godfrey goes, no, no, wait, wait. And Trav does one of these, of course. Thumbs up. He's like, I see a thumbs up. He's alive. And then we all erupt at the top of the thing because we were just so relieved that Trav had not just killed himself. Um, so it was a pretty crazy day in the sense that like Trav thought I died and then I thought he died. So we both like punched each other because we <laughs> for what we had just emotionally done to each other. Um, but then Travis was full of cactus needles. So we, st- we stood at not the- broken though. Stood at the- he kind of tweaked his knee a bit. Um, but no, yeah, that happens when you hit a Grand Canyon wall. Basically. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, his injuries were very minimal for, for what had taken part who pulled all the cactus needles out i pulled a lot of them out it was the one of my the funniest moments and it's on video i was pulling like one of these big gnarly cactus needles sort of out of his back of like back end area of his ass cheek and i pulled it out and then the camera guy's like oh wait 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 wait! i didn't get it and i was like oh don't worry and i shoved it right back. oh my god <laughs> I shoved it back in i was like are you ready now we can do take two and Trump's like you're an asshole i was like hey i thought you were dead so yeah, so you'll be okay. <laughs> so you you can take that. That was just sort of my like payback. Um, yeah, that I've long thought that's the craziest thing I've ever seen is you going into that thing on the back of that bike. Yeah, I get asked a lot. Like people obviously with doing nitro and doing stunts and people say, "Oh, what's the craziest stunt you've ever done?" That one. That's my yeah. That's my biggest. Yeah, the Grand Canyon. I've never really done anything that tops that. It's like I said, it's a pass or fail. There's not like people are even afterwards. You're not getting B minus on that. No, they were commenting like, "Well, why didn't you guys wear helmets? That's dangerous." And we're like, "Helmets not going to help in this respect." It's we're either it's, fine, we're either fine, or we're not here anymore. There's not a oh, the helmet would have done anything. So it yeah, it was one of those things that um, I have not managed to top it since I'm. I don't foresee myself doing that. You know, I think that's okay. well, pretty solid. I'm glad um, because I've always I was a but it did. Thing. Yeah, no, and and um, I mean, people are like, oh, you're so you must not have any fear. Like with everything I've always done, people think I'm fearless, and it's like fearless in the respect of I know how to compartmentalize fear. I know how to take something, have an understanding or a respect for it, like. I fear stuff enough to have a respect for it. Then I understand if I'm capable of doing it or if I'm not capable of doing it. And then I take that fear and I compartmentalize it and I put it away and then I do it. And I think that's where a lot of people, they are so fearful of something that stops them from doing it where there's other people that can kind of just be like, oh, that's kind of scary. Well, I'll just put that back there for a second. Because yeah, <laughs> difference... I, I was not not scared. I was terrified. Yeah. I was terrified. But I was able to still... I wanted to do it. I was able to make myself do it. I think the thing that's different about it that that makes me just shake my head is I'll do scary shit. I'll jump super cross triples, but I've built up to that. I've worked up to that. I've practiced a billion laps right, getting to it. So, so it gets to a point where it's just basic. I'll fight fires. I'll go into a burning building, but we've trained. I know I have the right equipment. I've, I've, you know what I mean? We've done simulations of this and I've done it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm as prepared as I can possibly be outside of something crazy happening. You guys are going, all right, so here's kind of the concept. We're going to freaking take this old ass bike and I don't know what'll happen. Try to get away from, you know. Yeah. There's so many unknowns and variables, like you said, nitro physics, or they called it. That's not an exact science. No. And, and, you know, we had to all 
get on the same page the night before we all sat around the campfire and talked about what was going to happen the next day and for everybody to be comfortable about what was happening each of us as adults had to take responsibility for what we were about to do so we talked about it and we're like are you still in this do you still want to do it yes like it had to be full commitment full understanding and and i went to bed that night stoked terrified but like still wanting to do it but also still accepting the fact that i had to put myself in a place where i understood i might die tomorrow but i'm still willing to do this and we talked about it and we had to all agree that hey i'm an adult i'm taking responsibility for myself i'm choosing to do this i know i might die tomorrow if this doesn't go right it's pretty heavy yeah still no paycheck on that huh yeah, I, I just can't believe that. I just can't see, man. Anyway, that's impressive. And I, you know, well, we'll get to more of it later, but um, the following. I'm rich in experience. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Loaded. Rich in, in memories. And If experiences paid money, you'd have a yacht and you'd own an island. But anyway. <laughs> we are not any further down this list. Look at this thing. Oh, this, look at, we'll keep moving. All right, 2008. <laughs> you set another world's record. 2008. You know how far away that is. I know it's a long time. First backflip and longest backflip? So what was the, you've already done oh, these. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you don't even really need to touch on that. That was just for the Guinness. Those were the other two? That, okay. those, those were just to get the, the Guinness. Finnish Guinness world record um, certificate gotcha so we did a guinness world record day for nitro circus season two uh on the mt the mtv okay. so you guys broke so yeah we just we said we had we had a couple days where we just set a bunch of world records of stuff that we hadn't done and then stuff we had already officially done but had never but guinness didn't label it so then we got our guinness world records so that's why that is like there's a gap between but it's like why does it say first and first it's only because it's now giving us like a paper saying like officially you you nailed it so where were you at at this point and we'll take a little break after this um and that thing's a little quicker i promise um (laughs) where where was your head and headspace at like okay you were racing and now you started to do the stuff with travis and there's a nitro circus is blowing up yeah we've taken off at that point um and then you, but you've got another avenue that probably at this point wasn't quite explored, but freestyle. And you kind of, you're already flipping. Yeah. You could learn the other stuff probably pretty easy. Yeah. Did you ever consider that? Like, I look at what Vicky Golden's done. Yeah. And we had her on the show not so long ago. Yeah. And, she's uh, amazing. She's killing she's it. Um, I, Vicky's just such a stud. I mean, yeah. like you, just very cool. Oh, she's way fucking cooler than me. But, because <laughs> uh, she, she tried racing and it's yeah. just, that's tough. Yeah. It's a tough yeah thing to do but man she pivoted and yeah. it's just killing it i love watching her ride yeah. she's a very inspiring uh epic woman for sure yeah her style like i wish Such i could with like her right <laughs> i'm like never mind hills of style so what were you were you kind of going okay i like this kind of stunt avenue did you think about free stuff no i did i mean i dabbled in it a little bit um before after I started flipping in that time frame, so the first time I ever hit a freestyle ramp ever was a backflip. But after I, yeah, exactly. But after that, 
my brother actually um, ran a freestyle team up in Canada. He had a small team that he had a uh, takeoff and landing ramp set up and he would drive around to all the different er areas in Canada and do shows with uh, a group of guys. And so once I sort of had that introduction to ramps, I, I did go home and I started riding with my brother a little, started learning some tricks. Um, and then I got asked to do a Masters of Dirt show in Austria. So I went down to uh, Florida and I lived down there for a little while and I jumped every day with Paul Smith. Paul Smith. Yeah. He, uh, unfortunately, another person that we've lost uh, passed a few years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, a freestyle. freestyle guy, lived in Ocala for quite a long time. And then he came over here uh, to California um, for, I don't know how long he had lived here, um, but uh, yeah, I was down riding with him all the time and and getting ready for this uh, freestyle show. And they had asked me to backflip. Um, at that time, I wasn't doing it consistently enough. Plus, I also wanted to keep that title with Nitro Circus for whatever reason. I don't even remember why. I think it was we were planning something else and I just wanted to not have. Um, so they just were like, well, that's fine. Do you want to just come down and just jump and do, you know, just do a small little freestyle demo. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I learned a few tricks um, for that and was jumping, you know, 75 feet ramp ramp to dirt, uh, the comp, comp setup. Uh, and then once sort of Nitro Circus came uh, after that, because that was just after I had flipped, then I did that show, was starting to jump ramps a lot and, and learning different tricks. Then I got into, I let, like, at that point I left my, my um, advertising graphics design job and had decided to stop racing and then was just doing stuff with Travis all the time. Um, and then we got our MTV television show. And so once all that sort of happened, I wasn't focusing on freestyle as much. And so it kind of it died off a little bit for me. Um, was the MTV thing lucrative for you guys? Sorry. Yeah. I might, but I'm like, no, you freaking nuts. Really <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So at that point, um, the DVDs, uh, we were to, had just done the DVDs and, um, I got a f call. I was down in Florida training for the Masters of Dirt show. And at that point, my brother, I was down there by myself for a while. Then my brother came down to stay with me for a little while. And at that point, Billy was down in Florida with me. We were sitting at an IHOP. Travis calls me. He's, what are you doing? Sitting at an IHOP. Can you get in your van and drive to Oklahoma right now? <laughs> And I was like, uh, what do you mean? He's like, I, I need you to be here tomorrow by whatever time. They're filming the Evil Knievel tribute DVD. Um, Johnny Knoxville, Jeff Tremaine, uh, Trigger Gum is going to be here with um, whoever. Oh, Matt Hoffman was there and and they're filming this, this tribute. Trav um, was like, I'm going, but they want like more Nitro Element. And I was like, okay. So I hang up the phone and I'm like, hey, Billy guess where we're going? And he's like, what? I'm like, Oklahoma. And he's like, okay. So we get in the truck, drive everything to Oklahoma. And we meet Travis is there, uh, Greg Godfrey, special Greg, uh, me, my brother. And we were just sort of this Nitro Circus element that they had brought into what was already going on around there. Um, I think Kenny Bartram was there as well. Um, yeah. And, and so we do, you know, we, we set up this uh ramp set up and and the thing was johnny knoxville wanted to learn how to do a backflip so 
we t we do our thing. I backflip. Travis does, you know, he's trying to do his uh, TP role and special Greg's doing the special flip and like all these things that they'd invented and had never been done or never dot or they just wanted documented for the evil tri uh, con uh, tribute. And then teaching Knoxville how to flip. And then that's when Johnny Knoxville broke his penis because he went to flip and he sent the bike off up into the sky and then he landed and then the bike landed but the handlebar went like straight down and it just snapped his penis. What do you mean snapped it? Snapped his penis. Really? I don't think I knew this. Yeah, so he broke it and uh, his he broke his, uh, tore his urethra and he had to pee through a catheter for like two years. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? So that was our introduction to Jackass, to Knox and uh, Jeff Tremaine, who was uh, Dick House and the producer. And at the end of this few days experience they had had with us, they just look at us and they're like, why don't you have your own television show? You guys are like very entertaining, pushing the envelope, like just even your... The way we interact with each other, too, like that's part of Nitro Circus, right? The way we would just like push each other and egg each other on, but then like camaraderie and the way we were friends and everything. They saw the whole package and we're, you know, it was just one of those things. Well, no one's ever given us a, a television show. And Tremaine's like, hmm. Travis told me uh, when we had Travis on the show, mm -hmm. he told the story about Johnny Knoxville walking into some producer's office mm -hmm. and Travis couldn't get an appointment with this guy. Yeah. And he goes, come on, we're going in. Walks him in, and he's just being himself. Probably Spike. And, like, got him a TV deal just like that. Like, that was, I don't know if it was this yeah. one or what it was. No, it's, it's this one. It's the it's the MTV one, because that's what I mean. Like, it was one of those things, like, why don't you have a show? No one's ever given us one. And it was just, like, then next thing you know, Trav's off in a meeting, and I think it was three months later, we're filming a pilot at his house. And the pilot gets greenlit right away, and we got our MTV television show. Now, back to your focus on money, uh, that is the first time that we were given very good paychecks. Uh, MT MTV signed us and gave us contracts and paid us per episode, and that was the most amount of money I'd ever made in my life. But that wasn't set At that point. No. Okay. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> SAG comes later in my okay. life. Okay, and we're going to take a break. I, I, sorry, we got so long. We're really making good ground. All right. Um, stay tuned. This is your Troy Lee Designs time out. We're going to be right back with more Jolie. Summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? Manscaped is here to ensure your body is ready for the wild with their game-changing full-body grooming and hygiene products. Don't be the guy at the beach with Austin Powers chest hair if you grew some winter man tits. At least you could do is make sure they're hairless. It's time to get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off, plus free shipping with the code WHISKEYTHROTTLE. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you increase your confidence and level up your full-body grooming game with the Performance Package 4.0. The kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower, the 4.0 version. It's waterproof, cordless, uh, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. So whether you're trimming your chest or the treasure chest in your pants, this is the best trimmer on the market. Their trimmer features a ceramic blade designed to cut hair on loose skin and to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin-safe technology. You can even trim an arrow pointing to the promised land if you're bold enough. Inside the performance package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because 
we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. No one likes nose hairs, so their package comes also with the Weed Whacker 2.0. You also get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the patented high-performance Reduced Chafing Manscaped Boxers. These things are super comfy. I'm not even a boxer guy, and I, I like to sleep in them. They're great. If you're wearing sandals, you need to get the Manscaped Shears 2.0 Nail Kit. Uh, look, we don't need a scene like, uh, you know, Dumb and Dumber where it's taking a, some type of rotary saw uh, and a bunch of sparks flying. The Shears 2.0 Nail Kit gets you tuned up. Very easy. Having the right tools for grooming is essential, so do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. So here it is. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WhiskeyThrottle at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping using our code WhiskeyThrottle over at manscaped.com. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. See you at Manscaped. There's a new product on the market that's going to help you with your riding and racing, and it's Elevate Action Sports. If you've not yet gone and checked it out at elevateactionsports.com, it's a collective of riding coaches, the likes of which has never been put together. Grant Langston, Ryan Hughes, Jeff Emick, Johnny Campbell, and myself, David Pingree, bringing all of our years of experience in professional racing to one place with professionally produced videos and all kinds of supporting staff to help you with your mental side of racing, your physical side, your bike setup, your bike maintenance. We cover it all. Get to Elevate Action Sports right now and join the community. There's a reason every AMA championship in the past decade was won on Dunlop tires. They are the best. Choose the best performing tire and a brand that has never wavered in their support of our sport. Choose Dunlop. Pro Circuit. Pro Circuit products are designed with one goal in mind, winning. Through passion and hard work, Pro Circuit has operated the most successful 250 team in the history of the sport. They use that same formula when developing exhaust, engine, and suspension parts for every brand. When only the highest level of performance is acceptable, trust Pro Circuit. Since 2009, Seat Concepts has been dedicated to making the best aftermarket seats. More comfort, more grip, more riding. For 10 years, we've continued to raise the bar. Innovation and American craftsmanship make Seat Concepts the world-leading manufacturer of power sports seats. Something from nothing. That's what Nihilo Concepts is about. It starts with a spark, an idea, a concept, which leads to a design and finishes with engineered excellence with the highest quality products created with durability in mind. All our products are made in the USA at our state-of-the-art facility in Stewart, Florida. Whether you are a weekend warrior, ride for fun, or at the highest level of competition, Nihilo Concepts offers innovative titanium, aluminum, and carbon fiber parts for your dirt bike. We offer a wide variety of products that you can customize to your liking. Browse our site for foot pegs, brake tips, engine components, specialty tools, frame grip tape, lever grips, carbon fiber components, motor stands, our secondary on-switch, plus much more. 
Head to NihiloConcepts.com and see for yourself why factory teams like Red Bull KTM, Rockstar Husqvarna, Troy Lee Designs Gas Gas, Orange Brigade, Club MX, KLM Gas Gas, and some of the fastest riders in the world choose Nihilo Concepts. Specialized Bicycles. Specialized leads the way in the world of bicycling. Whether it's cross-country racing, downhill, e-bikes, enduro, road, gravel, dual slalom, dirt jumping, or all mountain bikes that do it all, Specialized has the perfect ride for you. The brand is synonymous with engineering excellence and innovation that steers the industry. Visit your local Specialized dealer for a test ride and see just how good Specialized products are. With a rich history in motocross, ProX has been dedicated to supplying quality components since 1975. Whether you're rebuilding an engine or just need a new chain, ProX Racing Parts aims to bridge the gap between OE quality and affordability. ProX has over 9,000 part numbers and over 60 different product types that are manufactured by highly reputable or even OEM suppliers and are offered at affordable prices to help keep riders on the bike instead of in the garage. Visit ProX.com to search parts for your bike or check them out at your favorite online or local dealer. The guys are just breaking in their race bikes, which will leave on the semi this Saturday to go to the first Supercross for our coast in Orlando. Uh, so the guys are just be goofing off a little bit, do some cool photos, do some cool videos. When you go racing, you want to do well, but a big key is keeping the bikes on the track. That's why we chose to work with Motul. Expectations coming in as a rookie is just to try and get my feet wet and uh, honestly just send it, see where I end up and uh, do my best out there, but just ride aggressive and ride like myself in practice and I uh, should have a good time. Challenges of this sport, I believe, is just simply staying healthy. Uh, with how fast we're going um, and what we're doing, your margin for mistake is really, really small. Stay sick. If you have little rippers, then you have had to have seen Stay Sick Bikes by now. We have created bike and experiences that allow kids to develop sooner and empower them to find their own ride. From learning to ride to sharpening skills, the Stay Sick promise is accelerated growth. Whatever path your family chooses, it's going to be the ride of your life. Stay Sick Stability Cycles. vacation every single day cuz i love my occupation hey i'm on vacation if you don't like your life then you should go and change it welcome back everybody that was your troyly designs timeout if you guys have not been over at troyly designs lately uh troylydesigns.com all new spring line of gear is out uh stuff looks awesome the paint department's still working if you guys want to do numbered name a full custom helmet mountain bike stuff casual gear they got it all TroyLeeDesigns.com. Um, okay, so at this point in your career, I want to get in. You're, you're like basically full on nitro at this point. Yeah, yeah what year are you wanting to be? Well, this I mean, I, mean <laughs> I don't even know. What would this be? 09, 10, 
Okay. Yeah. So, so at this point, we we had our Nitro Circus uh, MTV television show yeah. for two years, okay. uh, and then we branched into a partnership um, and, and with somebody else uh, and created the live shows. And then the live shows have been the majority at this point, the majority of the life of Nitro Circus. Right. We we had the DVDs. Um, we did the MTV television show. There was actually a small show on Fuel for a little while. Um, and then we got into the live show and um, that has lived until today. Yeah. So um, they're doing the 20th anniversary Nitro Circus tour this year. Yeah. So um, they're going to, it's kind of a fun thing. We've been working on it um, for the past couple months. I told you I did my first interview with them in a very long time. And that's for that uh, tour just because they want to incorporate the OGs into parts of it. And then um, as the tour goes on, some of us will sort of sprinkle into each show just to kind of come and say hi and do some hosting and stuff like mm. that. So I will possibly be remaking my re-debut with uh, Nitro just kind of hanging out and, and possibly doing some co-hosting stuff at a show or two in the fall if I'm able to between work. You're not going to hit a ramp on like a tricycle or something stupid? No, because <laughs> I... Um, it, Start. I'm not entirely sure of my start date yet, but possibly sometime in July or August, I'll be going to Vancouver to work on a movie for four to six months. So, oh, that's right. I definitely can't do anything when I get hurt. You don't want to risk that. <laughs> Tell me. I want to hear about your time at Nitro because um, I know you guys all have this. There's a there's a really cool vibe amongst all of you. Yeah. But you had to have seen some crazy shit. There had to be some stuff that went wrong or really funny stuff that happened. I just what stories kind of stand out for you from your time. Oh, this is a hard question. I mean, um, I was with them for so long and we traveled the world doing some of the craziest things. And then we had the Nitro Circus live tour that came into play and really started taking because when we were filming, we were going to a few different locations to film. A lot of the time it was based on um, we weren't allowed to do that in America. So we would go somewhere else where we were able to. Or we did. Def, was there was one where he Travis had a ramp out in the water and he had to skim to the yeah. Land. So we played Costa with Rica. that one. No, we played a little bit with that one in. Oh, maybe it was Costa Rica. I wanted to say Panama, but maybe it was Costa Rica. Something central. And then we also did that in Texas as well for the MTV television show. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes, depending on if the stunt was really cool or we tried it and it didn't quite work, we would we sort of re revisited it as as we got into areas that we thought it might work better or we had more knowledge or a couple more was pieces. billy still tagging along at this point sometimes yeah so billy would kind of come and go um if there was a trip he wanted to be a part of or if nitro needed him um my brother's a fabricator uh, my dad is a, a tool he owns a tool and dye business so my dad uh a tool and dye trade and so my brother was raised and, and does that as well. So okay. my dad and my brother are both fabricators and, and my brother builds ramps and he built starting gates for a long time and like all these different things. So he would come on to Nitro um, to help build the ramps or do different things as well as be my little safety blanket. You know, me just having him there um, for my whatever moral support I was looking for from, you know, someone that cared cared about me on on a my my you know my family sort of thing um but he you know still had his job and his his regular life that he would go back to okay. um for sure yeah what was the craziest thing you you were a part of 
outside of the Grand Canyon, Joe? Well, yeah, there's the Grand Canyon. I mean, I don't know. We we did a lot of different types of base jumping and skydiving. Um, I stood on top of an airplane while it took off and then base jumped off of it. Um, I got shot out of a canyon, cannon at one point, one of those like human cannons. Um, I, I mean, the list of all the nitro circus stuff is so long. And then when we got doing live shows, we started going to all these different countries and um, we got a, a whole nother television show sort of set into play based on our live life. So basically following us to all these different countries and all the different things we do. So sometimes, you know, the core group of just the television show. Um, so there's like five of us. We would go earlier and into these countries and they would have different things set up for us that sort of um, bring us more into the uh, culture of that country or or different things that maybe they're known for and we would go do that and experience that and they would document it and so we had a, a show on cbs sports called crazy train for a little while I remember that yeah was there one like redneck uh something there's another show that maybe yeah, maybe i'm thinking of something different maybe something different what was it called on fuel i can't remember I think it was just nitros or hillbillies. I, I well, thrillbillies is maybe that's so. Right. There was two DVDs: thrillbillies one, thrillbillies two. Okay. Maybe yeah. So there was Nitro Circus one, two, three. That was thrillbilly. Yeah, thrillbillies one, two. Then country fried chicken or country fried, and then something or something. But then yeah, but then we got the MTV television show. Then we started doing the live um, shows. The first live show we ever did was in Australia, in Brisbane, in front of seven thousand people. Um, and then that started the ball rolling for the whole live. And, and then in 2011, we filmed the MT or the, not the MTV, sorry, the, um, Nitro Circus 3D movie. Um, so that had, I us, saw that one. That was one I never got. Yeah. So that had us going to a bunch of different locations as well. Um, I mean, one of the, the crazy, one of the craziest things that Travis has, I mean, Travis has done a whole slew of crazy things. Um, but one of the ones that is sort of his tops is uh, the the shootless jump, where he jumps out of the plane without a parachute. So I was part of that, as in I went down with the crew. I'm the tiny little blonde shoved in the corner as he jumps out. I was taking photos. Um, and when he got down to the bottom, after he did, you know, at the time, I, I don't know if anybody else had ever done that. I think he was the first person. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, that was amazing. And again, we're there. The, the whole thing is all the people, all the elements, it's all there. And I was like, can I go do it? Like, can we go get it, like, do it again? And I'll jump out. And Trap's like, no. And I was like, why? And he's like, this one's mine. You're not stealing my thunder. <laughs> he just wanted to think. He's just like, no. Because, like, yeah, we could probably do it again. But no. Um, so, yeah, it was like I got to be, even when I wasn't doing some of the stunts, yeah. you're just there a part of, of all of them all the time. And either you're you're helping as in contributing to what needs to happen, if it's you're building a loop or a ramp and everybody has their two cents to make it happen from their knowledge and, and different things like that. Um, so it was always just a really fun experience and leveling up constantly to, like, I don't know, you're just always doing something that you'd never really imagined. Like, I, when I look back on my life as a whole, I could not have fathomed this life. I could not have dreamt this. You know, like, as a kid, I had an idea of things I wanted to do. Like, I want to be a pro racer. I want to be a stunt person. I, you know, it'd be so cool to make a living on two wheels, however that is. But I had no knowledge past that. It was just that thought. 
And then the fact that like to look back on all the things that I've done with two wheels or not, because the two wheels just got me to a place where I then was a part of this cool stunt crew that got me into skydiving and base jumping and like BMX and all these other things. Cause I even, um, you know, I was the first woman to ever double backflip a BMX as well. Like I have, I have records in, in that category. Um, and these were just all through, through two wheels, but then spanned out into all these other things where I met so many other athletes that showed me what's possible and what, and what I'm capable of and supported me and helped me. And what would you say? So t it's hard. I know you wanted, you had like a specific question. No, I just not. hard to answer that. And I also, so much I stuff. also did, yeah, doing so much stuff. I'm not kidding. It's not that I forget what we've done, but a lot of it meshes together. And even ourselves, like when we're together as a group now, like when Tommy and I hang out, Travis and I hang out in gym and like, or we all hang out together. We'll, and Andy, like we start to talk about things and I'll be like, kind of like what are you talking about and like as the story progresses like, oh oh my god I totally forgot about that because each one of us sort of archives our experiences and our lives differently and categorizes it differently so we sometimes I don't even remember that we've done something until the boys remind me and then I'm like oh yeah I remember that now or that was sick or like and it's and it's hard like I I kind of wish I, I wrote like I journaled while we were doing all this. I wish we all like documented it a little bit more just because as well in, I think if Nitro Circus, um, you know, the MTV show or the, the height of it in that 2006 to 2010, if that was now, I mean, the, the documentation of it would be so much more intense. Even through social media. Social media and everyone having phones and, and, and just the drones and all the different capacity in which you can document stuff now. Cause I mean, there's so much stuff that we did that just doesn't have a record. Yeah. And unless we tell the story, people have no idea it happened yeah. or the background, uh, like the background scenes, like back behind the, um, behind the scenes. I mean, we didn't really do a ton of that either. And, and now when people, do anything there's a million people with their phones getting all that background content and i'm just like man i kind of wish in a sense i wish but in a sense i'm glad it sort of happened the way it did but there's so much about nitro circus and so much about our stories that is undocumented and will die with us if we don't tell the stories and as i get older i'm forgetting them too which which bugs me as well i, I mean i know the broad spectrum of some of our stories but i think as the years tick on, I'm missing the, the, the like content, you know, I'm starting to like forget certain things that would make the story so much better. It totally happens. I've, I've had people come up to me, go, Oh, I remember at this race, you know, you did this. And I'm like, I don't even remember going to that race. I don't even remember being there. Yeah. yeah no, you were this. And I'm like, yeah, this, maybe that does sound right. But it's like, it's crazy how you just, it's gone. Mm -hmm. It's a double-edged sword with social media. I, I hear what you're saying. Like if, if somebody could have just fly on the wall, captured it, there's a lot of gold yeah. venture, funny uh -huh. stuff or whatever, but. But at the same time, at the same time, if every if you knew everyone was recording like they do now, yeah, probably a lot of that stuff wouldn't have happened. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, we we and we have I have always had a, a camera, like a still photography camera, in my hand my whole life. It was something I love. Like even now, I take a lot of pictures on my phone, but that's not because I now have an iPhone and it's more accessible to me. I've been that way. Ask any of my friends since we were teenagers. Like I was always the person with the phone. I was always, or with the camera. I was always annoying people taking pictures, but I'm now the person that has all the photos. I'm the person that has all these memories and I'll just randomly start going through photos and sending them to my friends. I'm like, oh my God, that's an old letter. Like, 
And it's just fun for me. So while we were doing Nitro Circus, we didn't have a personal photographer. So at the beginning, I was the photographer. So a lot of the photos that you see on some of the cases or used for um, for media were, were my photos before oh, right? we got, yeah, but before we got into MTV and then they had a photographer or they brought in um, photographers. So I have a very huge catalog of photos for that whole part of our life. I don't have videos but I have a good catalog of photos and I have a folder that says Nitro Circus After Dark because we always joked about how we could have had our own television show just based on the shit we would do when the cameras weren't rolling and we were out just having fun. Yeah. So there's a whole folder of yeah. those. Because so that's the stuff that probably <laughs> would have looked differently if you knew yeah. people had phones all the time. Right, because we wouldn't have genuinely been being ourselves or felt like we could have just been doing whatever yeah. we wanted. Yeah. But that's, yeah, we, you know, we re yeah, raced some hell and wreaked some havoc. Even in like the motocross world, in the 90s when I was racing, you know, the shit that went down at Havasu, <laughs> like you just, could, it couldn't happen today. It couldn't happen. These guys have to be so careful. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's the same. Okay, um, did anybody, did you ever have anybody um, get hurt while you guys, like, badly, that were kind of, you kind of, oh, man, what are we doing? I have seen a lot of really gnarly accidents and injuries throughout my life. Some that have happened to myself, some that have, have happened to some of my best friends and my family, some have happened to people I don't even know, but I was there to see it. Uh, and it never stopped me. It never... There was never any hesitation, never any like PTSD. There was never anything that I was like affected enough to make it like, yeah, affected enough that it made me want to stop. Even my accident that sort of ended my time with Nitro didn't end me wanting to do what I wanted to do. It just was a really bad accident that took me in a different um, path. In 2011, um, my introduction into the stunt into the Hollywood stunt world um, was we were filming the well, let me think back we were filming the MTV no not the MTV we were filming the 3D movie um, no we weren't that far sorry we were touring in Australia <laughs> and I had just uh, crashed really bad on my BMX off the Gigana ramp and had completely destroyed my shoulder, had to have a full shoulder reconstruction. And so I had had the shoulder reconstruction. I was sitting at a hotel in Australia and I get um, an email and it's from somebody I don't know. I think it's a joke because the contents go to uh, about, I don't have the email anymore. I wish I did, but it was basically, hi, I was just wondering if you would be interested in doubling Anne Hathaway as Catwoman in the new Christopher Nolan film, Dark Knight Rises, the trilogy of, of Batman. And I just looked at it and was like, this does not seem like uh, a real, like, I'm like, this is a joke. This That's not a real sentence. Just out of the blue. Nobody says that. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. And like right away, I mean, I'm just flooded with all these emotions of like, because as a teenager, I wanted I wanted to be a Hollywood stunt girl. Like, how cool would that be to ride motorcycles and films and get to ride double actresses? Um, and then suddenly I get this, you know, I'm in my 30s and I get this message from some from someone in the, the film industry. And I was just like, this has got to be a joke, but I'm going to answer it in case it's not. And I wrote back and I was like, if this is not a joke, my answer is absolutely yes. And he was like, OK, I'll give you I'll get I'm going to get you in touch with the coordinator. And I get a call um, from this coordinator, Tom Struthers, and he's like, hey there, mate. 
And I was just like, hey, what's up? Like, I'm so excited. And he's like, yeah, um, so we're trying to find a girl that can ride the bat pod to double Anne Hathaway as Catwoman. Uh, there's only been two men in the world that have ever ridden this bike, and we, we're just not sure we're going to be able to find a female to do it. We might have to use the man, the double for Batman, who is already riding it. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, what do you think? Do you think you can do it? Because we'd really like a female to do it. Like, they obviously, in the industry, they have to try to find the person that they're looking for to fit this category to to do it. If they can't, then they can start outsourcing to whatever they want. But Christopher Nolan really wanted it to be a female. I mean, the way that you sit on the bike and the whole, like, silhouette of Catwoman and then yeah. Anne Hathaway, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Anne Hathaway, she's tall, skinny. She's got, like, you know, curves and such... And they were just like, we just, it would just a woman, you know, type of thing. And I was very, uh, I matched uh, Anne's measurements fairly well. So it would match really, really good. And my answer to Tom was just like, Tom, if you give me the opportunity to ride this motorcycle, I'll ride the shit out of it. Like that was my answer. Cause I was just like, yes, absolutely. Yes. Like, first of all, I just wanted to make sure a woman got on that bike. Um, and second of all, I was like, holy crap, Hollywood just called me and- all of my dreams like that I could have never even fathomed as a teenager are just like a possibility all of a sudden. Did you ever figure out how they got your number? Like how they connected to you? I, I do. Um, so uh, one of the uh, stunt guys, Clay Cullen, who uh, has been in the industry for a really long time, came about it through jet skiing. He, um, and as well as many other stunt guys, were a fan of Nitro Circus and just sort of knew me as um, somebody that, a girl that can ride motorcycles and has world records and just has this capability of sort of getting into situations that aren't always doable and and doing it sort of thing and so clay put my name in to um terry jackson who was the one that emailed me who then was the one that uh to yeah so there was like a, so, a long line of like stunt guys that were like doop, 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 doop. yeah and that so that was your first real job on yeah. So I, that's a big one. So I, I'm very aware of the fact that I have a very Cinderella, um, stunt story, like an entry to the film industry. Um, because yes, generally it's, it's not that open book as in like you get a call and suddenly yeah. you're, but it wasn't that easy either. As in, I just said, yes, I could ride it. And he's like, okay, no problem. He didn't, you know, he didn't take my word on it. They, they flew me out for an audition. So Tom just basically said, okay, yeah, I'm going to fly you out to England. You have a couple days to ride this bike. If you are able to rip around on the track with, um, the, the male stunt, uh, guy that doubled Batman, he's like, if you're able to rip around the track with him, you get the job. That's it. And I was like, okay. So um, at the time, I was saying I was recovering from that shoulder injury. They luckily were only going to fly me out like a couple months later. So I had a little bit more time to heal. But we were also filming the Nitro Circus 3D movie at the same time. So we were filming that movie for a little while. And then while the while we were in Panama um, and the boys were filming the roof-to-roof jump, that, we, that ended up in the movie, uh, I flew to England for this audition. And then uh, I got there. It, there was a little bit of a learning curve because it is a very odd yeah, what, motorcycle. What, what, was it's it a, built or was this sort of a contraption that was built out of something? Yeah, it was It was just sort of a, a brainchild of the, you know, the tumblers, the the bat yeah. cars or whatever. They're called tumblers. Okay. Um, and the bat bike car like shoots out of it. So it has the car racing tires on it. 
they're very yeah. big. Yeah. Um, and it, it just doesn't want to turn, probably, right? No, it doesn't turn very easy. I mean, it turns, but like big, long, yeah. wide turns, and you're steering it with like your upper body, as in like your shoulders and your your hands, and your movements are all up here. Okay. Um, but it was it's a Honda 450 engine inside of it, and it's fast and it's real. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, is that bike even real? I was like, oh no, it's real and it's fast. Um, I mean, it's straight line and turning, not so much. Uh. But yeah, I, I went over and it took a little to understand because it's all weighted on one side. Uh, only you know, there's only the one uh, swing arm that does. It's like it does not go on both sides, so it all kind of tilts over. It doesn't stand up by itself. Um, so there's just some some things you have to learn to kind of get it going. When you first got on, you're like, uh, I don't know. If I'm yeah, no. When I first got on, I mean, I was determined to do it, so I was gonna do whatever I needed to to make it happen. But I was. All, I was a little taken back, but I was also prepared for that because they had said, like, only two guys in the world have ever ridden this thing. It is very difficult. So it's not like I went in like, oh, I'm going to nail this right away. I knew I was going, it was going to be hard, but I was determined that I was going to make it happen. Just like everything else. <laughs> That's a theme for you. That's a theme for me. Um, yes, once I'm very... When I set my mind to something, uh, it's very, very uh, small chance that I will back down until it's it's completed yeah. or it's happened. So it's awesome. Um, yeah, so I, I ended up ripping around the track with him by the end of the first day, and we just kind of kept practicing. And and Tom just kind of came up and he's like, "Well, you get the job." And so they they took me and introduced me to Anne because they were filming at the time there. And then a couple months later, I flew to Pittsburgh. And I ended up working on that movie full time for four months. So that was my introduction to the film industry. And it was a lovely one. I mean, not many people get that opportunity. It's pretty big. Doubling the lead, Anne Hathaway, this amazing, you know, actress, not to mention in a Christopher Nolan film, it's Catwoman. I get to be, you know, a, in the cat suit. Yeah, you know, I had my own cat suit and I'm driving this motorcycle that like only three people in the world had ever driven. And um, I mean, yes, it's a it's a very cool Cinderella story. But in those four months, Tom utilized me every single day. So when I wasn't working uh, doubling Anne, he had me doing anything else that needed to be done as an ND stunt. So I was learning everything. And then I was working with this amazing group of people. Um, Terry Jackson is a big name. Uh, we got George Cottle and then Tom Struthers and uh, Jim Wilkie. These are like big names in the industry that have a lot of knowledge and have a lot of experience. And I was just a sponge and I was willing to like, I'm like, tell me all the stories, tell, yeah. tell me everything I need to know. I'm like, and Terry Jackson really, he was um, Bruce Willis's double, personal double for nine years. Um, and so he really took me under his wing and every day at lunch, he'd sit and tell me stories. And like, if something was happening on set that he thought I needed to know, have more content like more input he would just pull me aside and be like okay so in this case it'd be best if you do this or you don't do this or you don't do this so I got like amazingly schooled by some of the best right out of the gate and because they knew where I came from it was my first film I was able to ask any question I wanted to ask at any time and no one ever made me feel stupid no one was ever like well you should know that you're a stunt person because it wasn't. I would I'd come from the action sports industry. I was a Nitro Circus person. And this was my first, you know, my first film. So I got very, very lucky. And I'm super fortunate. And I learned so much in that time. And I took advantage of asking a million questions and doing everything I could. Because the second I stepped out into that environment and filming and being in the costume and action, 
I was just like, this is home. Like I just, yeah. Like I, there was no part of me that ever felt uncomfortable. There was no part of me that was ever scared. I was always like comfortable and confident. And I just was like, this is, this is where I go next. And I think I took a lot of, um, it just felt so good. Like I took a lot of, uh, I can't even think of the world right now, but the comfort, I took comfort in that feeling, knowing that like, when I'm done with Nitro Circus, I you know to find your new path. I knew this is where I would go next, or where I was I was meant to go. And a lot of the guys I worked with were like Jolene, because they'd ask me the same questions you did. Like, what did you? How'd you do that stunt? Like, I would sit and tell stories. And at that time, my stories were a lot more fresh, so they got better stories than you did. But again, being stunt guys, making good money, having stunt adjustments and royalties, and being in a union where there's a base, they're like, "Well, how much did you make for that?" And I was like. What do you mean? And they're like, well, what was your stunt adjustment? I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. What's a stunt adjustment? <laughs> Can you explain that one to me? You mean they were supposed to pay me? <laughs> and then, um, you're, oh, this is, this is a Batman movie. You're going to get a lot of royalties. What's a royalty? Yeah, what's residual? Uh, yeah, you'll know for the next decade. Uh, so, yes, I was, then I was very aware of the money that you could make for doing some of the shit that we were doing. Um, because those guys were the same thing. They're like, Jolene, you need to leave and come here. Yeah, immediately. <laughs> yeah, you're going to die over there with, like, no money, and you could just come over here, live longer, and actually make some good money. Um, and I just kept saying, like, yes, absolutely, but I'm not done over there yet. And this was in 2011. I didn't leave Nitro Circus until t- 2016. Okay. So it was true. I wasn't done. That was I was still at the peak of my career with Nitro in the sense of not the, not to mention the fact that I'd helped build a brand. I was a part of a core yeah, like group. Family, right? They are my family. You know, we eat, sleep, and breathe Nitro Circus for all these years. Um, that I just wasn't ready to leave them yet. And I still, in my mind, had all these world records I still wanted to. I still wanted to do the double backflip on the BMX. I still wanted to front flip a dirt bike. I still wanted to double backflip a dirt bike at one point was one of my uh, bucket lists. I had a list of all this stuff that I still hadn't done. Um, I wanted to do a snowmobile. Um, And so I just was like, please remember what you've just said to me because I will be back. I will eventually call you and I will eventually say I'm ready and I really hope that you will still help me then. That's crazy to me that you went about, like, to me, you get that, and and maybe you just, at the time, didn't really know, <laughs> but like, that opportunity to walk away from it, you didn't put it on pause, well, hope it'll be there. Slightly on pause, because I was in the union, I had my SAG card, and I had all these connections, I was honest with everybody. That was the, to me, it was about being honest and then not trying to do both half-ass. Yeah. I was fully in the sense that like, I need to stay fully here with Nitro so I don't kill myself instead of trying to do both. And then I never wanted to start asking these people that were offering me my, my dream, my, you know, my next dream, um, to be like, yes, get me a job. And then they go, okay. I got you this, this, and this. Oh, sorry, I can't. I'm still on tour. I So I didn't want to start burning bridges before I even had the opportunities. I just, so I was as honest with them as, as possible. And I said, please remember that. I will be back, I promise. And I hope that you will still be here willing to help me when I come back. And um, I don't know if it was just 
you know, the talent they saw and the honesty and the fact that a lot of them became my friends and, but they, they have all given me jobs now at this point. They have all helped me in some type of way. They've either hired me or given my name a million times. I've worked with them. Um, so in that honesty to them about what I really wanted to do, because I wanted to finish Nitro off being 100% there. And then I wanted to end that and then be 100% in the stunt industry and being available all the time and and there. Yeah. Um, and that was just, in my mind, what I had decided. And I, nobody saying anything really could have changed that at that time. And I don't think it was the wrong decision. Yeah. Well, it so, seems like it's played out, right? Yeah. Um, tell me about, you did have a big injury, though, that kind of, like you said, yeah. was your, you kind of said, all right, I'm not Yeah, so I had two close calls uh, within Nitro Circus, uh, one being the Grand Canyon, where it was like, ooh, I got pretty close there of not being here anymore. Uh, and then the second, unfortunately, came in uh, just before my birthday in September 2015. We were um, training or practicing and getting everything ready for the next tour that was about to start. And we had switched out the big gigantic ramp that we have for our bicycles and skateboards and scooters and all of our contraptions. Because as most people, if you know Nitro Circus, you know Nitro Circus is built up of motorcycles and bicycles and all these like action sports categories that have talent and are very hard work and um and a lot of risk but then we also have silly we have the entertainment part the clown part the nitro the, the circus part i mean um and we have contraptions and we do you know those things and that has been since the beginning as well from the dvds you know there's always that content of a little bit of silly a little bit of stupid um and so for many many years i would jump a barbie car off of the the uh, mega ramp and this year we had gotten a, a whiskey sponsorship. So they wanted to change one of the contraptions to a whiskey barrel. And I was one of the athletes that they were specifically sponsoring. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go in the barrel. That's no problem. Um, so they created this whiskey barrel, which was very small. So I basically was sitting with my knees at my chest and then um, driving this like tiny little barrel. And had it been off of the Gigana ramp, probably would have had no no problems it would have run the same thing uh the same way the barbie car did and i jumped the barbie car for many 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 years with no problems um but like i said unfortunately they somebody at nitro circus um decided that they wanted to try to make more money for themselves and and cut the budget and not have this big ramp that costs a lot of money and had a lot of people that they needed to set it up so this winch system came into play instead, where we didn't have the roll in anymore. We were literally shot down the runway by the same type of winch system you see at like a wakeboard park. Oh. Yeah. So it has this big generator um, and then they set it and you basically just like, and then you're just like launched off of the ramp. Oh. And um, I had done it, you know, a few times and the things were fine, but it was also just this tight little space you're sitting in. You have one hand to hold on to the steering wheel and then the other hand has to hold on to the cable um, when you're, you know, if you're doing something like uh, 
what like skate or skateboard or uh, rollerblades you can hold on with two hands but if you're doing something like a bicycle or contraptions you have you have to split the difference so it wasn't attached to the the no you're you're holding on to it but you know you have one arm to hold on to this thing that's something like and it's rip it's ripping your body sort of down um this runway so you have to like i'm like tucked in really tight and trying to hold on as much as i can while i'm steering with one hand and then it just zooms you down and the the one uh the one go it just got some wheel swap and at the last minute it just hooked off of the um edge of the ramp uh. unfortunately it hooked me i mean i don't know what would have happened if i went the other direction but it took me to the direction where the metal scaffolding cage that held the generator was there was also no pads in front of it um, for some reason. Safety had not been uh, done that day. And I ended up going 30 miles an hour straight into this metal cage. And I luckily had a, a dirt bike helmet on, a motorcycle helmet. I had a, a Fox V4. So this part of my face was exposed. And the bar just basically did this into the helmet. But because of the sides on a dirt bike helmet, it stopped. So had I been wearing any other type of helmet, I would have died on impact because that would have just sliced straight through my head. Um, but the the Fox helmet saved my life. Uh, but unfortunately, I shattered uh, my entire face. And then I kind of put my arm up at the last minute trying to get myself like out of the barrel or whatever I was trying to do. So I shattered my arm. So my whole arm was all um, messed up. And then after I hit, I ended up falling like the 10, 12 feet to the ground as well. And then there was just a lot of panic that ensued because uh, when a lot of people probably haven't uh, felt that type of a force, um, but you don't really feel anything, especially pain for a little while because it's like, it's like what, you know, you see a bird hit a window and it just kind of drops and then it doesn't really do anything. And then all of a sudden it wakes up and flies away. It, it was sort of that effect where I hit so hard, I couldn't move. Like it was almost like a full body numb paralysis, but also I didn't feel anything. Um, and then I just, I had my eyes open, but they they swelled closed within seconds. So I saw a couple of people. Before fracture, what was it? Um, I, I shattered like everything all in here. Um, I don't really know what the specific name per se is, but um, I have a mesh titanium eye socket and two plates in my face. I had to have, uh, I actually don't, still don't even have any of the bone that you, you have in your front here is like sort of all gone. They had to redo my nose. So I had an unwanted nose job. So I have a much, much smaller, more, more petite nose now than I, than I used to have. I broke my nose twice growing up as a kid. So I had like, you used to have like one of those bumps, but now it's a nice little, nice little swoop of a nose. Um, yeah, and uh, and unfortunately that uh, that accident was pretty pretty traumatic on a, a lot of different levels um, than any other injury I'd, I'd ever been through. Um, the the eye was sort of the the worst part was because of the eye socket shattering. The eye like fell back and down into my my skull and was in the wrong spot, and then it wasn't treated properly to begin with. So then scar tissue took place. And they didn't think they were going to be able to save my eye. So I had double vision that they didn't think was ever going to be repairable. And then they thought by doing the surgery, they could either, it would either stay the same, they could make it worse, or they could make me blind. There was this tiny, tiny percentage that I would actually see properly again. 
Um, so I ended up seeing a few different doctors to see if uh, what was possible. Uh, and then I ended up uh, in, in I ended up with this doctor that was just like, this is what I can do for you. And he's and he was very honest and it was terrifying. Um, but he said, like, he's like, I'll do my best. And I was like, if you will just <laughs> promise me you'll do everything in your power to try to give me my sight back, because I literally cannot live the rest of my life with double vision. It is insane. Like have to, everything have to, was double is like everything all the time. So you have to patch an eye to be able to see properly. So um, you'd be done with everything. Yeah. So and that was the other thing, too. And then my arm was shattered. And then I had surgery, emergency surgery in Bakersfield. They put my put my arm together wrong. So I had to have a second surgery on that. And that surgeon was also very honest in the sense that he's like, your injury to begin with was something I'm not sure, you know, could be like, you know, career ending. But now that I'm having to do it a second time, I'm not sure you're going to get proper use of your arm in order for you to ever ride a motorcycle again. And so I had the eye not being able to see probably, you know, all those possibilities of like what could happen there. And then with my arm. So I, I went through multiple surgeries and I uh, went through a pretty hard time with just, you know, depression and, and, and different things there. And, um, yeah, it, it affected me on a level, not that I didn't want to ride motorcycles again. It affected me on a level that it might take away anything, everything I've ever known and love and, and the future of being, a you know, a film stunt person, a Hollywood stunt person. I was just like, I was like, no, this is like, there's no, there's, there's not a possibility. I was like, I, there's just, I don't even know who I am if you take all of those things away. I'm literally nobody, like nobody to myself. You know, I don't, I wouldn't recognize that person or how to start to begin to build a new life. Um, so I just, with a lot of positive thought and like finding good surgeons, um, I got really lucky. I, I seem to have really good genes for healing as well. Um, be oh, the eye's good. Yeah. Like, no issue. I have I have a couple slight deficits, but they're nothing that. Um, I mean, the body is an amazing thing as well. Over time, a lot of those smaller deficits have sort sort of gone away, and other ones I've just learned to adapt to. So, you know, certain if I need to look behind me, I can't like look with my eyes. I just turn my head a little bit, right? So there's a there's a there's a spot at which my sight line sort of stops. But before it was like, I couldn't even see past like here. Like it was like, that was, I had this and it was double all the time. Um, but that was one of the scariest moments in surgeries. Cause going into surgeries before I'd broken a lot of bones in my life, in my, in my career, I've had a lot of surgeries. And usually I'm like the laugh of life of the party going into the, like I'm making the nurses laugh. I'm usually making the doctor laugh, the esthetician, like, or the anesthetician. What is it called? Is it an esthetician? Yes. Uh, Anesthesiologist. Anesthesiologist. Um, usually making them laugh, like, you know, and, and just kind of, it doesn't bother me. Like, I'm going in for surgery, big whoop. And I'm like, I'm like, stick that mask on me. I'm going to have the best two seconds before I go to sleep, you know, like, but that surgery for the first time in my life, I was on the, the, um, in the hospital bed waiting to be wheeled into the room. And I was uncontrollably sobbing in fear because I was like, I could wake up and never be able to see properly again or be blind in one eye and lose the future that I always wanted, lose my identity. Like I just didn't, I just didn't know. There was so much um, 
unknown and so much fear. And so the doctor actually had to come out and calm me down before he could even take me in and reassure me, like, going to do everything that I can. Unfortunately, I really was a 1%. Like, he was like, at that point, he'd actually never done that surgery and got a better result. He'd always just been able to, like, slightly improve it or keep it the same. And then there's been other surgeries in the past where it got worse. So it was really just having to put a lot of faith into the fact that I was like, no, I am not. I'm going to be a miracle. I am going to be a miracle. And then when I woke up, the doctor was standing there and he's he just looked at me with like a, sm a smile on his face because I think he already knew the answer. But he was like, how many of me do you see? And I was like, and I just started crying. I was like, one. And he's and he had his um, uh, a couple of his. uh what are they called under him? I'm blanking on the word right now, but. Um, Just surgical assistants, right? Uh, no, the ones that like learn off of him. I watch Grey's Anatomy. I should know what this is called. Interns. Interns. Thank you. Interns. So he had, you know, his other interns. And then, yeah, in that moment, he just like, how many of her? And I was like, one. How many of him? One. And he's like, we did it. And I just like, and I was just bawling because I was like, oh, my God. I can see, you know, and it was just so crazy to have that moment and like right out of surgery, like you didn't you didn't have to be patched for a while or anything. Huh? He just opened your eyes and said, "Did it work?" Yeah, it was uh. that crazy. But yeah, I was just instantly like, "Thank you for you know giving me my life back." And he calls me to this day. He sort of calls me one of his miracle cases because he he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to fix the the issue and and give me my life back. And it's crazy. And he did. I've heard about this. Uh, where does I've never done an interview about it? <laughs> where was it? You, were you in Bakersfield, or why were you in Bakersfield? Yeah, we were in Baker. Well, we were training at the um, Woodward. The, there's a Woodward up close to Bakersfield, um, and so that's where we were doing all of the stuff. So then the harm surgery that went okay too. Yeah. So that surgeon, um, he had a hard time because he had to take. I had three plates and like. 30 something screws and he had to take all of that out and then he had to put my arm back together properly and then he had to find holes like it was like swiss cheese and then he had to find places to put his hardware in um so radius and ulna or was it elbow and both. humerus yeah so or all of it yeah yeah so he was able to he was able to do that and the process of, of healing through him as well was really cool in the respect of every time i would go in to see him i would have um like more range and more movement that he actually documented my whole thing and he uses it as a case to teach now. Yeah. Um, but the one point, like I, I almost had like full out and then slight rotation. And I was like, I think it actually might be this plate. And he goes, okay, we'll do one that I'll go in and I'll take out just the stuff I can. He goes, there's some stuff that just has to stay there. So he took out about half. And then after he took about, about half, I was able to get like my full range and my full. So I walked in this, the one of my last visits with him and I was like, guess what? And he's like, what? And I'm all, oh, and I touched my back and I straightened my arm and then I rotated it. And he's like, no way. Cause he, even he said it, even if this goes well, you will, I just don't think you'll get to the point of being able to have the movement that you used, you, you once yeah. had. Like he just didn't think those things would return. He just, that was his professional opinion and i'm all oh no just over here proving everybody wrong <laughs> you're a medical marvel so it was cool because like in the respect of those two surgeons 
I was a very special case for both of them that came out like was pretty gnarly, but came out more like exceeded their expectations. Okay, so did this, was this sort of the the catalyst where you're like, okay, no more Nitro Circus. I'm going <laughs> to go do this. I mean, um, that's a traumatic experience where you kind of go, okay, <laughs> maybe I've pushed the limit enough. Right. You would think so. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I was actually still prepared to come back to Nitro Circus. Uh, I um, Maybe you should have seen a psychiatrist. No. I just had to have a, a run-in with a person that was not very good. Um, at the time, uh, Nitro Circus was owned by uh, a person named Mike Pora, and uh, he doesn't—he doesn't treat people very well. He's not a very good human, unfortunately. And to have somebody like that running, um, uh, running an action sports outlet where these people are working their asses off and putting their lives on the line all the time to have somebody like that, that does not care about you, does not appreciate you, uh, and thinks that you are just some dancing monkey slash robot that he can treat like a piece of shit <laughs> is a very, very difficult, um, environment to be in. And unfortunately we had somebody like that, that was running Nitro Circus at the time. And, um, my accident happened because he was cutting corners in the first place and wanted to be able to save money by not having the Gigana ramp and having this winch system, which lasted one tour and then went away. Uh, Did they hurt other people? There were other, there was not as, not an accident like mine again. Um, they put pads over top of the, the cage. Um, but there were incidents in which the so similar thing had happened where the, the contraptions just didn't make it to where they needed to, where they got shot off when they weren't supposed to. Um, so it just didn't work. Not to mention just didn't look good. Like the Gigana ramp is like a whole piece of Nitro Circus. You walk into an arena and you see this massive ramp and you're like, holy crap, people are going to drop in from that and do like rad stuff. You know, like that's I, a saw, I saw it in San Diego. Uh, I don't know what year it was way back. And it was, it's, I took my daughters and like, we all had fun. I, I ate too many hot dogs and licorice. <laughs> got myself sick. But um, the ramp, you're right. It was like, that was just part of the the set. Yeah. You know, the set was part of the show. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why when you, so, I, I'd never seen this thing. Yeah. So getting rid of it, I mean, it just didn't work as a whole. It did. It doesn't tell the story of Nitro Circus and the, the grandeur and stuff like that. So it just didn't work. It didn't last long for many reasons. And it was gone. Um, but while I'm going through everything I just talked to you about, as in my injuries and my surgery and the depression and the difficulty of all the information that doctors were giving me, um, Mike Pora had this footage of me hitting. Um, yeah, he has the footage. And oh, so the accident, the accident had the, yeah. So there's footage. You can watch it if you want. It's online. I've never watched it, but, uh, I experienced it. I don't need, yeah. <laughs> um, but he, um, and I've never done this in my entire experience with Nitro Circus. Everything I've ever done has been documented crashes, fails, attempt, like all that stuff. And I've never once said, please don't show that. Or I would like for that not to be a segment. You know, I never had. That time I did. To me, it was so much deeper than anything I'd ever experienced or maybe other people could really even understand and especially what I was going through. 
And I said, I said to them, I was like, can we please, I've never asked this before. I'm just begging you, please don't show that footage. Please don't put it out there. Like, can we just keep it? And maybe one day I'll want to use it for something or we can tell the story, but I'd like to like control that narrative. Um, and my answer was just bluntly, no, it's already in the live show. And I was like, oh, um, and they're like, well, you're not here. We have to explain why. So we're showing the footage and then telling them that you're still in the hospital and to give you good praise, like good vibes and cheer. So, and I was like, okay, I don't like that concept. Um, could we not do that? Do you have no legal rights to stop them? I mean, you signed, kind of signed away your deal. Yeah, they own it. Um, and I, but I, but I honestly just thought like, I've been with them for so long. I've helped yeah. build this brand. I really just thought asking this one thing that they would just, I on, yeah, I really did. I was just thought it would be like, yeah, of course, Jolie, we won't do that to you. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd been going through the hardest thing of my life and now I had to deal with that on top of it to well, me well, was a lot. I mean, why show that anyway? It's like, well, it's for them, it's just, yeah, you're right. It's like, uh, um, Mike said it to me basically like this, uh, that, that footage is gold. And if you can't see it, you're blind. That footage is more valuable to me than you are as a person or an athlete. Wow. And so that sentence is what made me decide that it was time to not be a part of that toxic control anymore. I'd really... Wow, um, says that. <laughs> well, something so, like that. <laughs> owned it. Did Travis... Travis owned it originally or he and Godfrey, like who owned it originally and then it got sold to yeah, so Tra Trav originally, it was, you know, his baby, Nitro Circus, and then Greg Godfrey and Jeremy Rawl, uh, and then there was a few other investors as it, it kind of moved down the line, but eventually Mike Pora owned the whole thing. About the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then he had full decision to do whatever he wanted. Um, so I, ba I battled with him for quite a long time because he was showing this video, uh, and when I was not able and and in sort of the thick of it i it was just happening and people would be messaging or they didn't it was weird how they did it because people thought i died like people didn't really understand what was happening in the video and then they didn't really wrap it up so people there were like people crying in the stands at, at one point people were telling me and i was just like this is ridiculous so when i got enough to, after all my surgeries i'd got to a point where i could move around a little bit again i actually dug deep and went to some of the shows just to wave after the video was shown so that people could see that I was still alive. I mean, I was messed up, but I was walking and breathing. Um, but I only did that a few times because I, I couldn't, I just couldn't do that either. Well, I didn't watch the video. I, ha I just like stayed behind the ramps and then they tapped me on the shoulder when the video was over. And then I would go up and wave and just say like, Hey, thank you guys for being here. And thank you for sending me well wishes. You know, I, see, I have a long recovery ahead, but love you guys. Just saying something nice to appreciate the fans and the people that support us all these years. But um, I didn't like it. I wasn't comfortable with it. I wanted it to stop. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, <laughs> this is something that um, whether it's motocross, action sports, any of this stuff, there's a component, any athlete really, there's a component to injury that's psychological, right? And you have to recover up here just as much as whatever the surgeon did and you've got to heal like and it, for him to not see that yeah and just say 
this video is worth more than you? Yeah, but yeah, it was a pretty rough, uh, a few, a few, I had a few conversations with him, but there, there was, yeah, a few things that were said to me that I just was mind blown that a hu another human would say to another human about their being and about also just the control of like, I suddenly was in a place where I had no, um, like I was void of any decision-making for no. myself. You know, like I, I was like, I have no, um, power. Like I, I was like in this moment, he has this power to dictate and make me feel a certain way and tell my story in a light that he wants to tell it when I don't even want this happening. And to me, that was one of the worst things that I had put myself in a position to let another human have that much control over all of me in that sense. And so I actually went to Bali for a couple months. My friend was going to Bali and she's like, you're you. The, what's just happened to you and what is continuing to happen to you? You just need to like walk away from and like she's like come with me to bali so i went to bali for a couple months it was really amazing it was a really good part of like my healing i had a lot of time to reflect to spend a lot of time alone a lot of time in the ocean i went to temples um journals all the like all the stuff to try to yeah. figure out what i wanted to do where i wanted to be how i wanted to move forward and how i was gonna decide and choose to stand up for myself right um because at this time this man still had this power over me and in, in telling a story that i didn't want him telling and telling it in a manner i thought was horrible um so he was this tour was still happening so he was still showing my video every single time <laughs> and then uh i get home from bali and i had decided what i wanted to do didn't want to leave nitro at that point i still wanted to be part really? of nitro Still wanted to be part of Nitro because he hadn't had that final, what I said, that like final conversation where I was like, okay, I'm done. That hadn't quite happened yet. There'd been multiple conversations. We hadn't gotten to that really gnarly one. Um, and I just said to him, I said, listen, I love Nitro Circus. It literally is me. It's part of me. I, do, I don't want to leave. I'm not ready to leave. I actually have a list of other new world records I still want to set. And I mean, look at all the stuff I've already done. Why can we, can we just pull back here stop focusing on this one thing that almost killed me and focus on all the amazing world records I've already set and then I will give you this this and this that I still want to do over the next couple of years and that's when he said like no this video is gold like you have no idea and then and then just horrible words after that you know of of no no support controlling demeaning um and yeah, in my, in my, I just, in that moment, I was like, I had already decided in Bali that I will never let somebody control my story and my narrative the way that he was and had been doing. And so I just said to him, I said, well, this is an extremely hard thing for me to say because this is my family and I have given everything to it for 12 years or whatever it was at that point. I was like, but I guess my time with Nitro Circus is over. Um, if if you can't come to a compromise with me in how I'm going to move forward with Nitro Circus. And his response was basically like, don't let the door hit on the ass on the way out. And that was it. And you shared this with the guys who stayed, right? Obviously, I would Everybody knows the story. Yeah, yeah. All the guys know the story. And they were all super supportive. Everybody, like, that's the thing. Like, I love Nitro. I absolutely love Nitro from the bottom of my heart. And this whole process... All the boys, everybody has been amazing. Everybody's been supportive. Nobody has ever done me wrong, except this one person that could not have owned Nitro Circuit. 
seems really short-sighted on his part. Like, okay, you get this, you might get mileage out of that clip for this year, but then you could have stayed on for multiple seasons and done and given them more and more. You know what I mean? Like that seems short-sighted to me anyway. Yeah. Um, the, the thing was too, I, I, um, I also, I took it as a, a sign from the universe. They're like, Hey, Jolene, you almost died. Yeah. You know, like time to move on. Like, I, I really was. And then after I got that response from him, that was really just sort of the, my last sign red flag to say like hey you had an amazing run with nitro circus these people are your family they're not going anywhere and they still are to this day you know like i'm travis's daughter they're my goddaughters you know like we spend we do trips every year with Annibel and the stranas i spend a lot of time with tommy and jim and like we all still are family and love each other and that will never go away and that will never stop and same with all the other live you know athletes and stuff like that and they have always supported every decision I have made and but nobody had control it's not like any of them could have stopped him nobody none of us had control we were all at you know so it's like it's I don't I'm not mad at anybody I don't blame anybody I've never had anything but love for even Nitro Circus as, as a whole it was it's just Mike Pora that I yeah interesting well maybe it's Turned out to be a blessing in disguise, though, right? It was my sign. And to move I, I on. wanted to know. It was my sign to move on. So you'd been now how many years since you did the Batman thing? Three. Well, that was so Batman. We filmed in 2011, and I left. 15. I left in 16. Okay. I know you're still getting residual checks. Yeah. Big ones. Yeah, I still. Well, not big anymore, but I'll get them for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. So did that not? Did that not like trigger something? You like, huh? These checks just keep coming in, and they're pretty damn good like, yeah I, I knew like, i knew what would what my future would hold okay i don't know if you know this i had a little stud career i didn't major feature film called supercross the movie oh yes supercross i know many I people that partook in this <laughs> i stud double for trip carlisle did a, i had a gag in there mm -hmm. did jump off a bike into some boxes almost died <laughs> but i still get checks for that shitty yeah. little movie that i did in 05 yeah they're not big they're 25 bucks now but yeah. I'm just thinking, man, if I was in Batman, <laughs> you know, those checks would be bigger and they'd still be rolling in. Hey. Yeah, no, I, um, in that small window, there was definitely a couple projects that I did do because I wasn't asking for work or looking for work. But if work came to me and I was able to do it, I would do my best to yeah. make it happen. So I did do a couple things in between. Um, I unfortunately, and I regret this, but I turned down working on Fast Five at one point but we were on tour and i was like damn it i should have just left tour i mean i'd done a million tours at that point so now i wish i would have just left and gone it and done it but at the time i was still in it and then um yeah in 2016 uh, when i made that decision to leave nitro i started making all the phone calls to the all those people i told you about from from batman excuse me and um Doors open right back. Oh, I, yeah. Every single one of those people was willing to help me in whatever capacity they were able to help, be it just giving my name to another person, um, saying, hey, Jolene left Nitro Circus and she wants to do stunts. I didn't, you know, whatever it was, but every single one of them has helped me. Yeah. And um, yeah, I've uh, been doing stunts full time ever since in the film industry. I've worked on many, many movies, Did TV shows, colorfuls. I didn't. I stayed in Nitro Circus, or stayed well, stayed in Nitro Circus. I stayed living uh, in Maryland at. I lived at Travis's compound, and I stayed living there for a little while longer, and then slowly made the transition over because um, everybody I spoke to was like, 
just come, yeah, just come here, come live here. We, you make better connections. You can meet, you know, coordinators. You, you, we can give you day jobs. You know, you're not flying across the country just to work one day. We're not going to do that, you know, type of thing. It's like, if you're here, we can, we can work you in and you can slowly start to meet people that you should be working for. And, um, so I, I came over here and started, uh, I was, wasn't here like full time, but in 2016 is when I, or no, 17, cause 16, I still was in Maryland and, and doing different things. I worked a few jobs and then in 17 is when I started, started making the transition and then yeah, came to California full time. And from Canada to Maryland to LA, yeah, not an awesome no. landing point. <laughs> How much did you nope. hate it? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Hence why I live in Bing Bear. Yeah, yeah. But no, I didn't. I understood why I was there. I'd made that choice. Um, I was only a few minutes from LAX. I was working a lot in Vancouver at the time too. So flying back and forth made it super easy. I'd worked, you know, a bunch of jobs in LA. And then um, when you get, you know, stuff, movies where you have to go on location anyway, those are great because it doesn't really matter where you live. It, yep. You just, you're flying to where they're filming. Um, you, you did, you've worked on a bunch of stuff, but uh, The Matrix was one mm -hmm. that I thought was interesting. What'd you do there? Cool. Yeah. Uh, when did we do The Matrix? Like three years ago now. So that was the last, uh, the last one. I got to double Carrie Ann Moss uh, and I got to do this really cool motorcycle jump down the streets in San Francisco. So mm -hmm. in one of the, the scenes where Keanu like puts his hand there on the bike and Keanu like stops the, the car and like kind of crunches it and it and then I jump off of it and I jump down this and I got to do a few other gags that were sort of involved with uh with that whole chase scene yeah. on the motorcycle. Are you doing is it just bike stuff or are you doing car stuff as well? Yeah, car stuff. Like... Well, I've done a little bit of everything throughout the years that I've been doing it, as in, you know, you can get hired for an ND and do a bunch of different things. Um, but my general is doubling actresses on motorcycles is is sort of my main my main hire. And where I've got a lot of my accolades from with it on my resume, uh, and then I've got to do a lot of driving in the past couple of years, which has been awesome to you know yeah. transition from just the two wheels to the four wheels. But I have um, my background and experience on the four wheels with the Razors. I've been sponsored by Polaris for eight years. I raced Best in the Desert, raced Terracross, so I have a off-road four-wheel racing um, life as well. Yeah. Uh, also, Animal Kingdom. I got yeah. really into watching that movie, that show because Dave Castillo, Castillo was yeah. hunting for one of the guys. Yep. Yeah, he worked I, on it like the whole time, I think. Yeah, from so who were you doubling for? I didn't double. I actually was uh, one of the FBI characters in the last episode. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll have to go back and watch it again. Yeah. I really got into that show. It was good. Yeah, so that's one of the other cool things is like if I'm not doubling um, an actress on a bike or driving for them, then sometimes you get to be like a stunt acting character and they just make you an FBI agent or a police officer or like whatever you need to be at yeah. that moment and you get to do a little bit of acting. So That's awesome. Yeah. And did you ever bump into Dave on that? Was yeah, that? yeah, Dave hired him. Oh, we did? Yeah. Okay. And you work with Andy Harrington a lot, just yeah. tying into people that are- Regis. Regis. <laughs> I call him Andy. I'll, call, I I'll always I, make him Andy. That's when I, when, you know, the connection with him into the stunt industry and I was like, Regis. I'm like, it's Andy. And he's like- yeah. Well, yes, but <laughs> same thing. I was like, oh, I know. I, it's I funny see him now. People call him. I know that everyone knows him as Regis or Tramp Stamp, and um, <laughs> but it's like he—it's funny. He's a little Andy to me. I don't know. I've I just know. known him for so long. Yeah. And 
he but he's killing it. He's killing it, absolutely killing it. And you so, worked for his bike I just, company, Covert. Yeah. So well, he I've worked alongside him. Covert uh, is has blown up, and it's one of the top companies that's hired for a lot of the filming, the bike filming. Um, and so I've worked alongside him with a lot of shots. I'm on the bike and he's chasing me down, or I'm on the bike and I'm chasing him down on the camera bike. So that's pretty rad um, that his company is doing really, really well. And then I actually just worked for him recently on a movie in Atlanta. He was doing his first uh, stunt coordinating gig. So I was very stoked to be there and get to be a part of that with, with a dear friend. So. And is that, so, like, where do you see your path going within this business? Do you see yourself maybe coordinating like have you looked that far or are you just kind of enjoying what you're doing now uh, i'm enjoying what i'm doing right now uh i know coordinating is uh it's a fairly it's a heavy load you know like people are like oh well you get to design and do and like yes you do get to coordinate stunts that's part of it but there is a whole other part of coordinating you know there's the being a part of all the meetings and the emailing and organizing the the all the stunt people that you're going to hire and then all the paperwork and there's a lot to being a coordinator that's not just the fun on set stuff right, right? um and so maybe i'll get to the point where that's where i want to go but at the moment i just absolutely love the fact that i get to double actresses on motorcycles i think it's super cool i show up for work i do cool stuff i go home you know it's i think that's why i loved it Moreover, Nitro was because Nitro, I was doing fun, cool stuff that was amazing, but then I was also the face, and you're always on. You always have to be turned on, and it was like the acting, the interviews, the this, the that, the, all the things, right? Um, so this was like kind of cool for me because I was like, I get to come in, do cool stuff, go home, and never have to like Twitch it all off. talk to a camera, <laughs> you know, type of thing. So that was a really cool um, transition for me that I enjoyed. Um, obviously, the two, Nitro and... Um, Stunts are very, very different, but also similar. Um, and I love them dearly in different ways. Yeah. 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 Well, it's just rad that you've, you know, I love seeing people, you know, and typically I'm talking to racers, but like to see them come out of that and find a new path and yeah. be successful and then transition again. You know, they say, they say you only last about 15 to 20 years in any one career right. before you need to transition for your own health. Like this yeah. is better. Yeah. But a lot of people have trouble making those steps right yes. you know um so i just love seeing people go balls out after something and be successful and they go okay i'm going this way and yeah same success and just keep making it i yeah. love it yeah it's cool and like if this last year was a very good i've done since i decided to leave things have gone very well i mean it took a little bit at the beginning just to get people to know that i'd left nitro because a lot of people oh i thought you're still with nitro no no i've left you know but now everyone knows i'm the people that do know me or at least are spreading the word of my name they all know that i'm full-time in it and and that's sort of part of the past so yeah. the last few years i've worked non-stop and it's really cool when you start to see all the projects start to come out and so even this past like last week it was like three projects i worked on kind of all came out within a couple weeks of each other and they were really really cool to just sign of all see them because they were all pretty big um, the one was uh, Jennifer. I doubled Jennifer Lopez in her new movie, The Mother, which is like number one on Netflix right now. And I got to do motorcycle uh, stuff for her and excuse me, and car driving. So I was this like old fashioned taxi. This is the one thing, not that this is bad, but it's like um, you're very uh, under the radar in this position, right? Like no one knows that no one unless knows you that. tell unless I tell them. Yeah. So in a <laughs> way, that's good, maybe. Uh you don't have to deal with, you know, I don't know, the things that would come with people knowing, but 
it's also you kind of go, hey, like that's me. Yeah, no, it's fun because, and I'm very, I mean, any athlete, I think, especially like an action sports athlete, you're very critical of like performance wise, right? Being an entertainer, but being it under a different umbrella, and like I'm so nitpicky about like when I start seeing it, I'm like, oh, I could have done that better. Oh, that slide, should, I should have held that a little bit longer, or I should have, you know, like different things. But at the end of the day, it all looks great when you watch it the first time. I, I don't always pick out a lot. It's when I like reverse it and start slowing it down. I'm like, oh, I missed, or oh, that could have been better. Or that could have been better, but well, that's it's always improving, that. right? So yeah, it's been fun. Is there, do you see maybe like down the road in a decade, like do you see another path you might take? Is there anything in Hollywood or outside of Hollywood that interests you? Um, not at the moment. Uh, the industry has been gently um, pushing me towards a little bit of acting uh, I, yeah. So, so this year I got an acting role on a show that I can't really talk about yet cause it's not out. Um, but, uh, and then a couple of years ago, well, yeah, cause in September, um, I, I was, I got to go to the Emmys. One of the stunt sequences, oh, you were sequences report, right? that I was a part of got nominated for, uh, an Emmy for be- best, um, stunt performance by an ensemble so it was me and three boys so funny enough comes all the way around clay cullen who got me my first job so clay dave castillo and then uh chris morrison and myself we were up for an emmy for barry and so that was really cool but in on top of that for barry we were the characters we weren't just the we weren't just the stunt people so i actually had multiple lines i had to interact with the other actors And so that was a first for me to be like a full character that had like actual dialogue along like the whole. So in in the one episode, I think it's season three, episode five, well, five and six, I think. Um, And so her name's Tracy Taylor. She's a badass motorcycle girl. And the boys are her brothers. It's the Taylor family. And um, Bill... uh, uh, um, the character is Barry. The show is Barry. Uh, but uh, Bill is the the writer, the producer, the actor. You know, he does everything. Yeah. Um, and so he kills us all off. So it's really cool, this whole, like, chase scene where each one of us just sort of gets picked off, this Taylor family. And um, But, yeah, it was my first experience as, like, a really big, like, for me, a big part in the stunt acting um, where I actually had lines and... Um, and then there's another opportunity in the fall, I think, where I might be doing some acting. So does the acting thing seem like to me, it just, I'm, I'm way too, uh, self-conscious. I, I couldn't do it. Like it yeah. just is so having people stare at you and you got to do the, it's like, <laughs> I can't do it. Does it feel comfortable to you? Like, yeah. 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 I don't, I mean, I don't, I've always been fine in front of, I'm a, I've been a social butterfly since I was a kid. So being in front of people and talking and entertaining and being the center of attention, doesn't bother me. I can yeah. do that, right? But being a character, like trying to play something it's else. It's fun. Yeah? Yeah. I just, I like, you're just not, you can, Yeah. Not, you're not yourself. You get to just be that yeah. person or that character. And uh, so I- let go I've of that been, self-awareness. Yes. I, like, and you, so I'm, I'm still very, you know, at the beginning of it, I've only done it a couple times on this type of a level, um, but it's been fun so far. I've really enjoyed it. The only thing that like gets me nervous where I'm just like, ah, ah, acting is, uh, lines. Like, I'm just like, that's new. Right. And not because, well, first of all, cause my memory's not the greatest these days with all the concussions and stuff. So I get a little nervous about not being able to memorize the way I used to. 
Um, but I'm worried about messing up the actor. Like, I'm just like, no, they're like, they're legit. They're an actual actor. And I'm over here trying to be just, and I don't want to mess them up. So that's what would make me the most nervous is because I would be in this dialogue and I'm like, and you have to remember like when you talk, when you respond, when you do this moment, do you walk away when they say this word? And like, so just as a whole. Yeah, where the camera is and lighting, there's a lot of stuff to think about. Yeah. And then there's just the repetitiveness, right? Like you have to do it over because you can nail it once and be like, yeah. You're like, oh yeah, you're gonna have to do that ten more times. Like it's like it's not like you just do it once and you, uh, <laughs> and that yeah. that's a wrap, nailed it. Like you have to do it over and over and over again in that same context and element and like, yeah. and all those types of things. So it's it's new and it's I mean I it's not the direction I was I'm trying to go, but it seems to be coming my way a little bit. So I've just been embracing it and it, it. and if something happens from it, I'm stoked. If it doesn't, I am in love with my job as a stunt person. And I will do stunts the rest of my life if it'll have me. That's cool. Yeah. Um, where do you see yourself ending up long term? You and I both kind of have the same feelings about this place. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, um, I'm. I. Would you go back home? Would you? Did you like the East Coast? I like the East Coast. I, I was brought here because of work and because of the industry. Um, and as much as California has to offer, and I like it at times, I just don't think it's somewhere I want to be. Yeah. in my old age um but i'm not i don't think i've found where i want to be either haven't landed yet yeah, haven't landed this place is like the best and the worst I yeah think. yeah and i i feel like i like i have sort of done my whole life is i don't do a lot of the planning so really far in advance i kind of let things come and unfold as they're supposed to and i i really have experienced some amazing forks in the road or pivots where my life was like going in one direction and by like making one decision or meeting one person, it's over here now. So I don't, you never know what right. where life can take you. So making a plan like that to me is silly. 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 Yeah, silly. Um, we have, I've taken a lot of your time. I'm sorry. I'm either like <laughs> looking at this list going, holy shit, is this guy serious? Are you, are you down at the bar? We're done. The last one. You promise? This is the question we ask all our guests. Oh my goodness. You've been making me talk forever. <laughs> How do you want to be remembered in the action sports world? Oh, I just hope I'm remembered. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, you work really, really hard. I mean, I've worked hard my whole life to just do what I love. And I didn't I didn't set out to try to set the world on fire or set records or become somebody special that did this for the first time. But I was fortunate enough to be in the um, company and atmosphere of people that were able to provide that um, opportunity and, and window. And I took it and ran with it. And so the fact that I've been able to do everything that I, I have done, and I do have this life and this journey and this resume, um, I just hope that like years down the road, when either I'm old or I'm not here anymore, that my name still sort of lives in action sports and with two wheels, um, that I was you know, someone that did something pretty cool at one point. Well, you've done some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So no more jumping into the Grand Canyon, <laughs> but thank you so much for being on. Um, thank you. We want, we want to keep you around. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, it's the most amount of talking about my life I think I might have well, ever done. It was fascinating. So thanks for doing it. <laughs> How can people find the Outpost, by the way, if they're in the area? Yes. Come and stay at the Outpost if we're up What's at Big the Bear. Website? So it's outpostbigbear.com. We also have an Instagram, outpostbigbear.com, and we're on Airbnb as well. Go check it out. It's honestly super cool. You can come say hi to me at my fire station right down the road. Thank yeah. you so much for taking the time. Thank you.
All right, stay tuned. We'll be back to wrap up the show. I wanna be bad with you, girl, like we're robbing a bank. I wanna be mad at the world, like it took you away. All right, well, welcome back, everybody. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Really cool of Jolene to uh, take the time to come down and chat with us. Uh, she's one of these people that's just really forged her own path on a motorcycle and um, doesn't follow like typical patterns. But man, when you look at what she's done, uh, crazy stuff. Some of it literally crazy. If you're getting on the back of a bike with Travis Pastrana, you have mental problems. But boy, talk about talented. And, and I, I don't know how you listen to that and don't appreciate her discipline and her uh, work ethic and her stubbornness to just keep pushing forward with something it's it's impressive so huge thank you to jolene for that hope you guys enjoyed it uh, as always please support our sponsors these guys uh behind me the folks that really back this show uh they keep it going we, we couldn't keep the lights on here without them so if you're looking at a bike look at yamaha i mean they're making the best 450 250 anyway the 125 and 252 strokes are incredible their off-road line's incredible um method race wheels we give you 20 percent off discount code there Use that SKDA graphics, Troy Designs, Dunlop, Pro Circuit, Seat Concepts, Nihilo, Specialized, ProX, Stasic, Motul, Flowvision, all of them just top of the line companies. We really, really take our time and select these people carefully. Um, and they're either the only ones in the market like Stasic. I mean, they were the creators of that or uh, like Dunlop. They are just the most premium brand in the sport. We try to really uh, be careful about who we pair with just for that reason. So you can trust the folks we're promoting. Uh, so thank you. Go over and check out Whiskey Throttle Media if you get a minute. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. We've got more great shows lined up. Thanks for watching. See ya. The Whiskey Throttle Show is brought to you by Yamaha. Join the Blue Crew today and take advantage of all that Yamaha has to offer, including amateur racing trackside support, awesome Yamaha contingency, Jason Rain's demos and instructional classes, and frankly, the most high-performing motorcycles available on the market today. Whether you're looking for a four-stroke, a two-stroke, a side-by-side, -side, a quad, a boat, a generator, Yamaha prides themselves on absolute top-level quality and reliability. Rev your heart with Yamaha and join the Blue Crew today. Method Race Wheels, bringing you the lightest, strongest, fastest wheels in off-road for your truck, van, sprinter, UTV, or SUV. They've been dominating the Baja 500 and 1000 and every major off-road event around the world for years with high quality and performance. They also look amazing. They come in a bunch of different styles and colors for your rig, so check them out. You can get 20% off a set of wheels using our code WHISKEYTHROTTLE. No capitals, no spaces. 20% off using our code. Check them out. Troyley Designs is the leader in off-road motocross apparel and style. So whether you're looking for a cool new paint job for your helmet, maybe your name and number on your helmet lettered on, you're looking for new gear, you're looking for mountain bike gear, off-road gear. They've got the brand new Scout line and GP and SE models. Troyley Designs has it all. They've been leading this industry for decades, and they're going to continue to do it. Check out TroyleyDesigns.com. SKDA is a moto graphics and seat covers company with several offices based around the globe. For too long, bikes and graphics have all looked the same. They just start to blend together. SKDA is working to change that. With super clean and unique design work, a bike with SKDA graphics stands out in a crowd and adds a touch of art to the world of moto. Hey, we need that. SKDA prides itself on providing premium customer service both before and after the sale is made. Visit SKDA online to view the current product range and get in touch with their team to get your bike refreshed. I want to just make a, a mention here that these guys, not only is their design way outside the box, very, very cool. They'll work with you on custom things. 
the, the products are incredible, okay? They'll speak for themselves. But what's really awesome, and you'll notice this the minute you order one of these, man, they give you an email saying, hey, the product's been shipped. Uh, hey, the product is here. It landed in this spot. Hey, it's coming today. Hey, your product's been delivered. They, they're just so good about staying in touch with you and letting you know where it's at. Customer service is 100%, and uh, that's just something that's rare these days. Check out SKDA. Here at the Whiskey Throttle Show, we're all about supporting brands that support our sport. And there's one tire company that has never walked away from the sport of motocross and supercross, and it's Dunlop. When times got tough and the economy took a crash, Dunlop stepped up and stayed with our sport to support it and the athletes and individuals that love it. Their MX-53 line and MX-33 lines absolutely dominate this sport. Every national championship at the pro level has been won in the last decade, and nearly every single amateur national championship at Loretta Lynn's has been won on a Dunlop. So if you're looking for high performance, you're looking for amazing quality, and you're looking to support a brand that never turns its back on our sport, there's only one choice for you, and it's Dunlop. Pro Circuit is the leader in aftermarket performance and quality. Whether you're looking for a little more horsepower out of your engine, some quality hard parts to improve the way your bike feels and looks, better handling through suspension or linkage or linkage arms, Pro Circuit is where you need to stop. It's your one-stop shop. You can go in there and get everything you need to make your motorcycle go from average to exceptional. Pro Circuit's got enough number one plates on their wall to side an entire home, and there's a reason for that. They're very, very good at what they do. Uh, the highest quality products with one goal in mind, and that's winning. Check out ProCircuit.com. Nihilo Concepts is leading the way in aftermarket hard parts. With their secondary on-switch device, something that was much needed in this sport, they've been innovating and bringing new products to market. Their latest is the new Nihilo Run-Cool Brake Pistons. They're designed to be stronger than stock and provide exceptional cooling performance with less brake drag. Most OEM calipers pistons are made from aluminum that just can't hold up to the heat and extreme demands of serious racing. When they get hot, the aluminum will distort, causing loss of hydraulic pressure and brake failure. Nihilo's run-cool pistons limit the area that boiling hot hydraulic fluid is able to come in contact with the piston, leaving two-thirds of the piston volume in open air with breather holes to enhance the cooling ability. It's made of a proprietary stainless blend, which is better at dissipating heat. You have issues with brake fade or brake failure, check out Nihilo Concepts among their many amazing hard parts and carbon fiber parts and titanium. NihiloConcepts.com. Seat Concepts is the leader in motorcycle saddles. If you're looking for a new cover or a new seat entirely, Seat Concepts is the place to go. They make custom seat foams catered to your height, weight, riding ability, riding type. They also have waterproof covers and, and foams that will not break down if you ride in a lot of inclement weather. And they pride themselves on being much more comfortable than OEM or any other aftermarket company. If you're looking for a new seat or a new cover, Seat Concepts, there's nothing better. Need to replace something on your bike that's worn out? Look no further than Pro-X. These guys aim to make everything OEM quality or better at an affordable price. And they've also got some new products coming. So right now, chains, sprockets, anything inside the, in the engine internally, air filters. If it wears out, Pro-X makes it, and they make it at a quality level that's OEM or better. And they've got some new things coming that are awesome. A complete engine rebuild kits for the Polaris RZR 800s, Need to replace something on your bike that's worn out? Look no further than Pro-X. These guys aim to make everything OEM quality or better at an affordable price. And they've also got some new products coming. So 
Right now, chains, sprockets, anything inside the, in the engine internally, air filters. If it wears out, Pro-X makes it, and they make it at a quality level that's OEM or better. And they've got some new things coming that are awesome. A complete engine rebuild kits for the... If you've got a little Grom that's looking to get started in the motorcycle world, the best way to get them going is on a Stasic bike. They've got multiple sizes, so from your very young Groms to those who are a little more grown up, you can start them safely. They've got controls that allow you to control the speed so he can't get going too quick. They can touch the ground. There's not a lot of noise to distract them. It's the perfect way to get your child involved in motorcycling at a very young age. And if you've got a kid who's already out ripping, there's series popping up all over. For those of you in Southern California, go to www.ameminicross.com and join their local series. If you're outside of this state, contact your local track and ask them about starting a Stasic class at your local track. Get over to Stasic.com and check out all they've got going on. Motul USA, uh, we, we lean hard on these lubricants to keep us uh, on the track and on the trail. And Motul has proven their quality over and over, uh, most recently with their Dakar win with Ricky Brabeck. Uh, they're sponsoring Supercross teams. They're diving into our sport again full, full throttle, and uh, we're stoked to have them on board. Amazing products, top to bottom. Motul USA, go check them out. And finally, last but not least, specialized bicycles. If you are in the market to start pedaling, this is where you want to start. Uh, they've got great entry-level bikes all the way up to the Cadillac, the new Levo um, e-bike. Uh, any, anything in between, man. It doesn't matter what kind of riding you're doing. Go check out and start with specialized. Don't waste your time on something that's going to break. The derailleur's not going to shift after a couple months. Get something quality. Uh, these guys make it. Specialized leads that industry. Thanks for watching and listening to the Whiskey Throttle Show. Be sure to like and subscribe to get notified when new shows go up. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And visit whiskeythrottlemedia.com for additional content.